We're here on Thursday at uh, 2 18 p.m. So we're only a little bit late. So appreciate everybody for hanging around. Our guest today Thanks. is one Parker. of the most prolific players in EU with a very interesting story and one that has been going around for quite a while. One of the uh, longest serving players in the game and somebody whose knowledge seems to be as deep as the ocean. Meepy, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, you, you started out as a player, you had a long journey through Europe, and now you are currently the coach of EU United, a team who unfortunately was not successful last night, but you did manage to escape relegations. So we start every single show with the same question. Why Rainbow Six, and how did you get your start in the game? Oh, man. Um, so I've been playing Rainbow Six Siege since the closed testing. Um, originally, Rainbow Six Siege was supposed to be just like a a short stop on my um, my gaming friends' lists of things to play. Um, going back to when I was, I think, 18 years old. I'm 25 now, so it's probably around seven, seven and a half years ago. Um, I ended up getting like my own, my first PC that I bought with my own money. And um, I ended up meeting this group of guys on uh, an, a long forgotten and dead survival game called Nether. And we all became really good friends. Uh, one of which was, um, was Lackey as well, who would later become a, a primary teammate of mine. And we ended up jumping around from game to game after it died. And we ended up playing like a lot of Armor 3 and then some uh, Dirty Bomb and Insurgency. And, and eventually we saw Tom Clancy's The Division. And we were like, wow, that game looks incredible. Um, but we need something to play because it's not coming out for another year. And, um, well, how about we play this game called Rainbow Six Siege? It's another Tom Clancy's game. It might be somewhat similar. It's like, yeah, sod it. Let's play it. So we ended up jumping into like some of the closed testing because we managed to get access to it. Um, some of the guys ended up breaking off and doing their own thing. And at the end of the day, it was just me and Lackey left. And we formed our own little team. We wanted to take it like kind of seriously, kind of not seriously, play in some of the tournaments and things like that. After we saw that it was going to get an esports program and things like that, we thought, eh, might be fun, jump in some of the go-fours, uh, have a bit of a laugh. And yeah, from there, it just kind of went a bit crazy. We ended up trialing a bunch of different people for our serious but not really serious team. Most, like we trialed Pengu, for example. Um, he actually went off to join Penta later on. We trialed Iga. Um, who then later off to went off to form what would become Penta, and it was crazy. It was this weird little journey. We would play. Um, we were called Momentum, and we would play in the Go Fours and things like that. And I actually do have some old um, old vods on my Twitch of uh, the Momentum tournaments that we did in uh, in ESL a long, long, long time ago. And then Penta formed, and Igo was getting his roster going, and Igo messaged me like, "Hey." Do you want to come join our team? They weren't exactly called Penta then. They hadn't gotten the sponsorship, but I ended up saying no because uh, I just wanted to actually sit down and, and play with my, uh, my friends and just not take it as seriously. And then Penta went on to actually win uh, the first, um, I think it was the first ESL tournament. I was like, oh, I've kind of made a bit of a mistake. I probably shouldn't say no next time. Um, Iga got kicked from that team for reasons. Um, he joined. Reasons. He joined um, Era Esports, I think they were called, with a bunch of other French players. Um, and then uh, Revan, one of those players, had to step down for personal reasons, and they needed a new player. Now, this is another interesting part, is that they were going to trial one player. But 
I believe Alems couldn't be there, so they needed a stand-in fill. So on that day, they were there to trial Fabian to join that team. Who? Fabian. No, Fabian. no, I never heard of him. Never heard of him, no. Never heard of him. And he actually didn't turn up to the trial. So we ended up getting someone else in, and I, I filled in just for the, the, the sake of it. We, we played console. I forget who it was against. Um, it's a long time ago. Anyway, we ended up losing. Losing that scrim. But apparently I did well enough that they actually offered me a position. Um, and they kind of gave a catch to it, saying, yeah, we want to offer you the position. You need to accept uh, within the next 24 hours, because next week we have a LAN tournament in France. So I was like, uh, okay. So I said yes. I uh, was in the middle of a a one-month training course with BAE Systems. And at the end of it, I had to basically turn down the job offer to do esports. And that's where I am now. That led on to Air Esports that then became Playing Ducks. And after that, it is an extremely long story. Yeah. Still, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's been one hell of a crazy ride, to say the least. You are, you are somebody that has been talked about in the scene an awful lot for what you bring. And uh, you also did, you did some casting, right? If I remember correctly, for a brief um, period of time, wasn't it? I've never actually casted anything officially. Um, right. I've done my own like um, stream casts where I'd um, uh, broadcast like a, a grand final and I'd like, kind of cast and analyze over it. I was brought on to one of the UK casts as like a, they bring on a bunch of pro players and they all have a chat about it, like a non-serious, um, a non-serious match. And I did some casting on there. Right. Uh, but that's about it for my, uh, my casting experiences. Well, I always felt that you would excel in that role. But then again, I also try to keep an eye on pros that I think would do really well on the desk because we, we do have a deficit <clears throat> of retired pros coming on to our our analyst desk or even live casting you know i look at a lot of other esports with with shades of envy you know <laughs> yeah i have i have monopolized the x player uh i guess uh standard with kicks i have just taken him and he is mine and then nobody else gets <laughs> x pros on our desk but um so i mean you you predate me uh, a lot of our guests have obviously but there's a man who also happens to be in this call, who, who knows you and your teams quite well. <clears throat> yeah, well, you, I'm familiar because, yeah, I've been, I've been around since the start, too. But, no, I like, I remember you going around through the... Like, I remember all those teams, too, because I've always followed the scene closely. Like, even Europe, like, from the very start. So I knew about all those teams and stuff. I remember, I remember when you first joined... Was it... Were they still called ERA at the time when you joined? Yeah, we joined just for that LAN event, and then we decided to leave. After I still remember, though, like the first time I watched you, you were running LED5 Iron Sight yep. Silencer, I think. Yep. Yeah. And I was oh, like, I was guy. so triggered. I was like, what is this fucking guy doing? But you were kind of nasty, so I couldn't really question it. I was like, I don't know, man. He's kind of good, but like, why the fuck is he using this? Um, just for clarification, yeah. by the way, Era. Because we've had a problem with team names all being the same. The era that you're talking about is A-E-R-A. Yes. Not Era Eternity, not the one that North American yeah, fans yeah. are used to. Yeah, yeah so, it was only for like the first season of EU, right? Um, yeah, 
Um, the original roster was Enemy, Ravan, uh, Panics, Alems, and I think it was Ricky. Then when Ricky got banned, it was replaced with Undead. That's who it was. Mm. It was Undead. Try to remember. Yeah. It's crazy how many yeah. of them are still around because every now yeah. and then when we're when we're looking at guests and we go through you know the the history of them and there there have like I said there have been guests that have been around longer than me because even though I started playing in Red Crow it is amazing how many people started before that and are still around. Yeah. You know that's crazy. I mean you you look at other leagues and yeah we've had turnover. You look at like Overwatch League, you look at the first couple seasons of like League of Legends. I mean even look at the people who made the you know, the transition from CS 1.6 or CS source over to CS go. And it's like they'll last like a, a year or two and then they're out. The amount of people who are still kicking in rainbow six is, is really impressive. Uh, you know, given, given where we were five years ago. So now let's talk about playing ducks because you put together this mixed org, uh, that speaks in English and you do pretty well. And, you start to climb to the top of EU so much so that you make it to the finals of year one season three, in which is a match that is still constantly harkened back to as one of the greatest Rainbow Six matches. And both of you were involved in it. I know you can smile, Troy, because you won. But uh, by a fluke. <laughs> but but yeah. But so you basically got you basically reluctantly got into Rainbow Six. Did you foresee the success that was going to come with playing ducks and and you guys climbing to the top? Not at all. Um, I've when I was growing up, I really wanted to do game design, and then when that kind of fell through, I really wanted to be a professional gamer. And I first tried to be like uh, to go pro, um, very um, stupidly in League of Legends when I was way too young to even. Like, I'll give this advice to everyone here. If, if you're under the age of 18, don't even think about going professional in, in anything. Your studies are way more important. And I tanked my studies trying to be a professional player and completely screwed over my, ac my academics um, trying to go pro in League of Legends as a, a gold one player. And if you play League, you'll know that it's a very bad um, average rank. Uh, so it is what it is. Um, but... When it came to actually actual siege, you know, um, I was I was in between jobs. I had um, originally um, I had worked as oops, sorry, keep hitting my mic. Originally, I had worked as like um, um, an administrator for a security company, and then when that fell through, I worked as a librarian. And when the libraries, like if you're English, you'll know that the library system here, unfortunately, is being shrunk and shrunk because people aren't using libraries anymore. So people are getting laid off from library jobs. So I got laid off from a library job, and then, and then Siege stepped into my life kind of like at a perfect time. Um, it was just, like I said, just supposed to be a game that me and my friends played on the nights when everyone was done with work or whatever they were doing, and to have fun. But just the natural way that life went, you know, I had one of my, my friends. Um, he actually went abroad to Austria to be a barman at a skiing resort. So we needed to replace him for our team. I had one friend who went on to do uh, mobile game development. So he was developing all of his, he was spending all of his time developing. So we needed to replace him. And it just kept on happening that we needed to keep, repl like, re keep replacing people for our little non-serious, serious team. And then eventually it just kind of, it kind of became a decent team. 
Um, I remember some of the early Go Fours that we were playing. We actually played against the OG um, era roster before I before I joined them, obviously, and it was on Bank. They beat us, but it was really close. And I, I, Alem messaged me afterwards saying, "Hey, that was a really good match." And we knew them. We knew that they were like pros in that at that time of the game. And that's when it kind of like ticked into my like, "Hey, we're not that bad. If we keep working on this, we can actually do something with this." And the game has an esports program. And I've kind of wanted to do this for a long time. So I guess I should. And I, I do regret not accepting the first offer I got to join what would become the original Penta Sports. So much so that I told myself I will not reject the next offer for a professional level team. And the stars align. Um, Iger gets kicked from his Penta roster. He joins a French roster, which at the time people were joking, joke, making jokes at him at his expense for just joining an old French-speaking roster. And then again, the stars align that, that Fabian doesn't show up to a Fabian doesn't show up to a, uh, a a practice trial, and I need to fill some space. Uh, I got here by pure chance, a hundred percent luck. It is mind-boggling to think what would have happened if I had not turned up, if I had not played Siege, if I had not done something specific in my life. A lot of people get here just by being lucky. It's the right place at the right time, right? Yeah. I mean, the same thing happened with me with casting. You know, I was, I was doing it for fun. I, I was in between jobs as well. I was waiting to go back. I was a server at the time. I was enrolled at university. It was, uh, it was the end of May. I was waiting to start a new job in June when summer started. Uh, I was going back to school in September. I had nothing to do. And a couple of my friends on Powerhouse were in this tiny league. And the guy who usually casted it, his power supply blew up. And, you know, the team basically came to me and went to the guy who runs the league. And we're like, we need somebody to cast. You have a good mic. Can you cast? I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but sure. And that was literally it. Now here we are. It's, it's wild. You have a good mic. <laughs> You have a good mic. You have a good mic. Put that's, him in. That's all that matters. That's how you low. Don't have the, a good that voice, is how low the barrier mic, was. Though. I mean, you know, you know what the state of our casting was back in. Yeah. Back I in May 2017. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like they would say like you got a good voice or something, not you got a good mic. Well, I think that was implied <laughs> to a certain extent, right? And and you know what? I'll always remember after my first, my very first broadcast. There was a post. Uh, post-broadcast thread on the Rainbow Six Pro League subreddit after Kix and I did. It was it was WBG versus Rogue and then Elevate versus Most Wanted. Obviously, Most Wanted is your team now, Troy. And I remember Meepy, you commented on the Reddit thread saying, like, that's the best the casting has ever been or something like that. Or last night's casting yeah. was the best casting I've heard from, like, the Rainbow Six esports program. And I was like, damn. I was like, I gotta live up to this. And it was like, I, I just remember at the time, I'm so new, I turned to Kix and I was like, hey, Meepy's a pro. Like, what, he plays for Snook and Nose. I was like, what do you think of this guy? And Kix, like, Kix goes, yo, he's really smart. I was like, okay. I was like, smart man says, smart man says nice things. I was like, I'm going to learn. So, now this, this P, this P Ducks roster that you had ends up uh, in a position where, you know, you've got Zeronic on the team. It was the last time that Zeronic played professionally. Yeah. Um, what was it that uh what was it that led to him getting benched by the way was it his own personal commitment because Zeronic is obviously a big figure 
still in Rainbow Six. He's a content creator with Navi now. Uh, he pulls yeah. some of the highest concurrent viewers in his time slot for Rainbow Six. He's been on the analyst desk for a wide variety of, of uh, events and uh, was obviously briefly on the EUL broadcast as well. What was it about Zeronic that, that got him moved off of the team and then eventually brought back in before he ended up splitting up? So at the time, I, if I'm remembering correctly, um, when he first joined the team, when it was just becoming Plain Ducks, he had just gotten married. And by the time it was um, that he was benched, um, he actually benched himself because it was their one-year anniversary and they were going to go on a really long holiday. Um, and there was a tournament coming up and we couldn't have an empty spot on the team. So Zyronic basically said, look, I'm going to do this because, you know, it's my wife, I love her, etc., etc. Find someone new to replace me. So it was, it was more or less he benched himself because, you know, he chose, you know, he chose his missus over us. And that's, I understand. I respect that. And I respect more so is, is him just saying, look, just bench me. It's all good. So that's what we did. We just benched him, found a new player. Do you, uh, do you think that if he hadn't been benched and he had stayed, you wouldn't have had the same issues with the team splitting up due to the nationalities breaking down 3-2? Hmm. You think that would have made would, a difference? I think it would have, because Zaronik, um, he's very, how do I, he's very firm, very like, almost like stoic in the way that he talks and explains things. And I, I think he would have had a much more firmer foot down for the whole team breaking apart type thing. Right. I don't think he would have let it happen. I think he would have fought for it uh, really, really hard. I mean, behind the scenes, don't get me wrong, we fought for it pretty hard. But at the end of the day, rules are rules. Um, I don't think the 3-5 rule exists in its current state, at least, anymore. So I don't think that can happen anymore. When you, um, when you picked up secretly to replace him, making three Swedes on the roster, was, were you concerned at all? Was this something that you had thought, consciously thought about? That, hey, with the three-fifths rules, we could be inviting our own destruction onto the team? Yes. Or, or was that something that just wasn't on your radar at the time? Oh, no, we knew. Um, but once again, it was... Um, it was it was it was the run of the mill wrong, the wrong time for the the problem to occur. Uh, like we, it was another instance of we need a new player as soon as possible. There aren't very many players that are free agents right now, so who do we pick up? And obviously the Swedes are like, hey, secretly, let's get him. So we got him. The team wasn't too bad. I mean, and then you guys all. You all split apart, you go to Snook and Nose, and then there's that schism that happens. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is actually kind of funny timing because the lineage of that Snook and Nose team extends all the way to the now relegated chaos. Is there any animosity, by the way, that you, uh, you hold? And for those that don't know and don't follow, in the EU League, they have auto relegations for the 10th and final spot and Chaos Esports Club. Drew the unlucky straw. They've had a miserable season and they got relegated. They haven't been relegated yet. There's still a couple play days left, but they were the worst team and they will be relegated. So that last bit with Secret, which was the other half of that squad with Team Secret going down to, to Challenger League and now breaking apart and now with Chaos being relegated. That's it. The dynasty comes to an end. That that part of the tree is just is done. Was there any animosity that you held towards the players and did you take any sort of satisfaction seeing them get relegated go back um 
go back in, going back to when the team first um uh, how would i describe it um mutinied i suppose you could say uh, yeah i would say there was really... dissension among the ranks there was a mutiny yeah yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd call it a mutiny. Like, going back then, um, if they were to just go into the next season and then immediately get relegated, I would have been like, serves you right. <laughs> but now, um, nowadays, I don't really care anymore about that, uh, about that kind of stuff. I don't really hold grudges for too long. And at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I'm kind of sad to see another team that has a long lineage drop out. But... At the end of the day, the way that I look at it is, if you're good enough to be there, you'll be there. And if you're not, you won't be. Yeah. And that team just isn't good enough anymore. I don't know what's wrong with the team. I don't know the inner workings of the team. Maybe they'll have more success in Challenge League if they don't like split up. But that's yet to come. We'll have to see. I mean, Chaos hasn't really played, outside of a couple dream hacks. Chaos never really played on an international stage. So it's really tough to judge you know, how they, how they do against other competition from other regions um i i was always very i'm gonna be honest with you i think that what they did to you guys was dog shit and i always hated it and i can say this now i can say this now because you got fucking relegated i can say this because you're no longer in the eu league and i'm not casting eu league so fuck you i can say it the fact that they snaked you guys out of that spot and the way that it broke apart was always dog shit and it always made me angry and i had zero respect for it i understand it's business i understand how the three-fifths rules yeah. work but it's still dog shit and you guys got fucked over for it, so fuck you. And I was always rude to Chaos on the broadcast, not because I disliked them, but because their team was never, frankly, very fucking good. You were always towards the bottom Damn. of the EUL. You weren't good enough. You sat in fourth to sixth, or worse. All you got relegated. You reap what you sow. Goodbye. So, you know, I can. I've I've had this pent up for years. I've had this pent up for years. Damn. Okay. And. It's just like, I don't have any, I don't have any respect for that. I, the, as players, as individuals, I like them all. I really like Secretly as well. I think Secretly is a really cool guy. I've talked to him a number of times. Um, I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. At the time, I think it was a dog shit move. And I had no respect for it. I understand that business is business, but just because you got to do, just because you can do something doesn't mean you got to do it. And Chaos as a team was never good. They were never consistently top four in their region. They always were just a feeder team that people would accrue points off of somewhere in the middle of the standings. And that was it. And now the competition in EUL has continued to heat up. I mean, Rogue was racing them for relegations and Rogue lost at that as well. So, I mean, that sucks, but it, it does bum me out. And I will say this. It does bum me out to see a team with that much history get kicked off because I'm with you on that. It is cool as a caster. And I think it's really helpful to the viewers to be able to, to pull up. Oh, you know, four years ago, this team was competing. Yeah. And that's neat to be able to do. And now obviously you can't do that. And I do hope chaos sticks together because all that pent up frustration, by the way, has, has diminished over years. That, that is 2017, 2018 in tarot speaking. I, I think renewals is cool. I think secretly is cool. Obviously I like vital. Obviously I like red groove. I like the people on the team. But at the end of the day, I thought it was shitty at the time. That's all. Yeah. So. Leon yeah. brought up a really good point in the chat. Um, he said, basically, the way that the three-fifths rule works is that if your roster had like six players and you have three players on one side and three players on the other side, they actually look at how many matches you played. Now, Leon went on holiday and missed one match. Yeah, I remember that. And that is the match that made the so that they won the three-fifths rule. 
I mean, I also think it's fair to say that ESL was never consistent with what three fifths was. No, not like with Farrell's involvement as well. Like they, they just kind of drew. They just kind of just picked out of a hat. Like, yeah, you know, Farrell was involved for like two games. Oh, Lazo, Lazo played one game. He's just as valid. And it's like, you know, when you're like looking at these teams breaking apart, you're like, eh, it doesn't really make any sense. But yeah, um, I mean, the first time we complained about the three fifths rule with the the French departure. Um, yeah. Like we we brewed up a shitstorm um, about that one publicly and privately, and in the end, um, ESL um, conceded that like okay, fine, we'll put you in the Challenge League quals and put you in like the closed Challenge League quals or something like that at the time, or whatever the, the I don't think it was Challenge League, it was like quals to Pro League back then, and we we ended up beating that with with SNOs and getting back into Pro League. But the second time with the Swedes. We did it the same channels again, brewed up a private shitstorm in the in their groups, and they basically just turned around and said, No. Yeah. We don't care. It's um it's hard because I mean we're not admins, so we don't know. But yeah. it's like I look at some of these rulings and I'm like, these don't make any sense. <laughs> That's you usually know. how I feel about them. Yeah. I, ju- I just get confused. Yeah, like I, I mean I'm I'm a big fan of precedent. If you're gonna make yes. a decision, even <laughs> if it's even problem. if it's a shitty decision. Follow it to its logical conclusion. Like you can't just you can't just arbitrarily make a call and then just start changing that every other time, right? Like if you're gonna if you give a team five minutes to show up and they don't show up, you can't go giving teams more than five minutes after that. I don't care yeah. what they're I don't care if you know if their if their grandmother's car is stuck in the snow in rural Michigan and you gotta go tow her out. Like I'm sorry, like that precedent's already been set. You can't fuck over other teams. And I mean it's it's something that I don't I don't envy TOs. I mean, face it just had to deal with this with the shit storm that ensued from the Vitality Empire game on on Monday, was it? Yeah. So it's like Exactly. Make a decision and stick to it. Like I I, I hate that. And I mean the other problem too is that, and I can tell you this from experience, because the guy doesn't work there anymore, so I don't really give a shit about saying this either. I'm fired up today. Um there was um when we were doing U.S. U.S. Nationals, um, actually, I don't think any of the people who made this decision work at Ubisoft anymore, so hope I don't get in trouble. Uh-oh. Anyway, uh, when we were doing the U.S. Nationals, Rogue was playing some, some shit-fucking Tier 4 team. I can't remember who it was. And the kids were, were sitting at the rehearsal desk. I think it was Kix and I um, are sitting at the rehearsal desk, and ESL is sitting in the background... And they basically just said, hey, so uh, our second match of the day is Rogue versus whomever. But, you know, the show starts in five minutes and that team hasn't sent us their graphic, their logo or their roster. And they haven't added the Observer Marcio. And we're like, uh, OK, so what does that mean? And they're like, well, technically they need to be ready for the start of the show. If they're not, they forfeit. So they're like, we're going to give them an hour. And if they are, are not ready by the time that this first match ends, then they're going to get a forfeit. And we're like, OK. First match ends, it's pretty quick because that's what happened with the U.S. Nationals. And then uh, the second match is, is about to begin and we go live to stall for more time because now ESL has backtracked on their own rules. And ESL's like, you know what? We're going to give them a little while longer, blah, blah, blah. Three of them have added us. We still don't have their logo, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so we're sitting in the lobby. We're sitting in the lobby. We're sitting in the lobby. Kicks and I are stalling as much as we can. And uh finally esl calls it and they're like nope two of them haven't added the observer they've not joined the game yet blah blah like they get a forfeit 
So they forfeit and we say, you know, we come back from break on the broadcast and we're like, that's it. Rogue wins. Cool. Awesome. And we go home. It's U.S. Nationals. So it's like fucking 630 in the morning. So obviously I go straight to bed. And as I'm lying in bed, I get frantic messages from ESL saying, can you come back to the studio? We need you to come back to the studio. The team is ready. And I'm like, no, I'm not coming back to the studio. I'm at home in bed. The show's over. They forfeited. What's the problem? Turns out that apparently somebody at Ubisoft decided to make a call that after those, those kids that got forfeited went onto Twitter and started making a racket like, we were ready, it's ESL's fault, fuck ESL, they didn't invite us, blah, blah, blah. And Ubisoft was like, let them play. And ESL got overruled. And I'm lying at home in bed and I'm like, yeah, absolutely not, I'm not coming back in. So I don't know what you want from me. But I'm not coming in. I'm home. The show's done. So they ended up uh, playing the match with no comms at all. Damn. And the guy who made the call at Ubisoft is no longer with them. But, uh, I mean, ESL was fucking pissed. ESL was furious. You basically cut your own TO off at the knees. Your TO followed the rules in the rule book to a T. They were even more lenient than they needed to be. And then one employee arbitrarily makes a call and that's it. And it's like, you can't do that. Can't do that. So they played the match without comms. And then they said, they're like, we, uh, Ubisoft, the same guy. Uh, they're like, we want you and kicks to come in and record casting over top of the VOD. And kicks and I were like, absolutely not. And they're like, well, what, why not? Like we want to upload it to YouTube. And I'm like, so then upload it to YouTube. I was like, if you pay me a full day's rate, I will come in and do it. And kicks said the same thing. And they're like, okay. <laughs> so we came in and we did it. I got paid, so go. I didn't really care. And, and guess, guess what? The casting wasn't great because the match was fucking garbage. I think Rogue 14 and won them or something like that. Like, Jesus. <laughs> oh, but uh, anyway, uh, let's go back the to the play. Sorry. Yeah, the U.S. dude, the USN quals, the, the all the USN always the matches were always good at the start because it was always pro league versus pro league. But then after yeah. after you've got six of the PL teams qualified, it's like it's like whichever, you know, whichever teams are left over, like Tempo Storm and, and like the Sonics versus like Adventure Force. Like, you know, it's so, just some were an absolute shit show. Like, dude. I saw some of these teams that I'm looking at and these kids sit in the lobby are like plat twos and plat ones. And like, they've got, they don't even have a logo. Their, their name is just like best friends. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, Uh, let's go back to that playing ducks match uh, where, like I said, it's widely considered one of the, one of the best matches and people always have it in the, probably the top five of matches you need to watch. I was not a, uh, I was not a part of the scene when it happened. I've obviously since gone back and rewatched it because I think that it is required viewing. I want both of your perspectives on it because you have both obviously talked about it a lot on your own. But this is the open floor for you to discuss it from Meepy's side, which was probably crushing defeat and for Troy, one of the small times that you had glory in a finals. Yeah, small times. <laughs> <laughs> you can take I us mean, through it, Meepy, if you want, and you can start with... Uh, and, the, and the legacy, yeah. honestly, like the fact that... The fact that... Uh, this does, this does tend to be one of those historic, you know, famous matches in Rainbow Six. To this day, I have never watched the VOD back. Really? I never can't watched blame it. you. Never watched it. Biggest annoyance of my entire career. Yeah, there's nothing, there was nothing to go back I, I'll, and watch. I'll, hap- like. I'll happily watch that Oregon back, sure, but let's not talk about the other two maps. 
You mean you don't want to watch Bank? I I would rather delete the VOD <laughs> if I had the if I had the availability. I don't care if it's your top five; it's gone. Delete from internet, please. Yeah, oh my! God. I don't think the clubhouse was too bad. Like I think that was just like a regular map, but the bank, like, I mean, I, I'll even say it. they should have won bank. Like, <laughs> they should have won bank. You're just like a cheap. You're just like the cheeky robber baron, just sitting there giggling as you got away with it in that match. I mean, imagine. Okay, imagine this, right? You're on stage. You're on the biggest stage so far of of the game, right? Mm-hmm. You're on the like match over match time like, over. Last round, the the last round, and you lose because double drone feature hasn't been added yet. So when you throw a drone, it deletes your other drone. Hey LM, we really need you to drone server. Oh, but my other drone is on the flank. It's okay. Just throw another drone. Okay. Deletes the flank drone. Oh, oh, here comes Necrox. Woo. The funny, the funny thing is, is like Amar, Amar Necrox, like he knew. He wanted a flank, and, like, I knew that they had all these drones set up. Like, I had seen it in a previous VOD. So, like, I knew that they had, like, flank drones on everything, basically, on that. Like, it was, like, part yeah. of the strat. I knew yeah. that. And uh, Amar's, like, it was, like, 2v4, whatever it was, like, at the time, when he was, like, I think we would go up at flank. And I was, like, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, they're going to know you're coming. Like, there's no way they're not going to know you're coming. And he's, like, ah, fuck it, whatever. Like, go ahead, do it. Because it, it didn't matter at that point, like, it had to do something, and he just happened to like blindly pick the right lane that the drone got deleted from. Yeah, we um we the whole strat was was called drone porn because of the insane network of drones that we had. We had one guy sit still in a corner, and he would just go, sit on the drones. Next, 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 next. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you came up the the main stairs. It doesn't matter if you went upstairs. It doesn't matter if you went lobby. It doesn't matter if you flanked through um admin and kitchen. We had a drone. We knew you were there. We were ready for you. And we were really good at that. Yeah. But just happenstance, that one drone, that one, that one direct route he took was where the drone got deleted from. And people in chat are saying, like, the Zyronic team kill, this Blackbeard. Zyronic had no ammo left. He was just a body. He didn't have deagle ammo. Oh, he might have had, like, a MAGA deagle. He had no main primary. He was just a body at that point. No flashbang. Was he running the DMR? Um... No, he no. was running the AR. I mean, even the that. AR back then, that was before the ammo counts got expended, right? Like, that was that was back when Blackbeard had, like, 60 bullets in both his guns, and that was that. It. it was like that or, like, 100. Something. Yeah, it he was had, real low. And he was, um, the way that Zaranik played Blackbeard, um, he would always just, like, peek and fight you. Um, he put a lot of faith in that shield, as you should have done with Blackbeard at that time. He was a very good Blackbeard player. Mm. And, and he was constantly peeking Red Hall, um through the breach and through the door and just trying to fight people that are trying to fight him and get picks and things like that. So by the time it's ready for execution, he has no ammo left. He's literally got his deagle out. He's trying to shoot people with the deagle. He gets domed in the back of the head by someone. I don't remember who. It doesn't matter. That was a, a non-factor. Yeah. The best thing he could have done is knifed someone at that point in the round. Yeah. But yeah, Siege, Siege was a different game then, man. Like, people yeah. don't understand how much it changed. No, it was a different game. Like, I was playing Pulse on Bank, and I wasn't pulsing for the plant. I was pulsing to, like, flank upstairs the whole time. I mean, like, people still did that later on, but, like, <laughs> the default spot for a Pulse was, like, sit in the vault, call the plant. Like, I wasn't doing that ever. Like, I was running around upstairs the whole time. Or, or like, pulsing yeah. for a flank or whatever. And then, like, yeah, like, what you guys did with the drones. Like, that, that's something that happens, like, all the time now, right? Like, a flank watcher with a bunch of drones set up that he's flipping through. But at the time, like, I saw that and I was like, what the hell? Like, what is this? Like, I remember seeing it in the VOD and I, like, 
it was completely new to me. But yeah, completely different game. I'm pretty sure like you go back it this is one of the funniest things for me to always go back and look at, but like I'm pretty sure at the time that's when like that's when throat or when uh, smoke threw his fucking smoke like like a fucking sissy, bro. Like he's just yeah, like yeah. fucking Super little underhand. Slow. Yeah. He's like in the run he's in the red hall and he's just like and it fucking lands just on the desk right in front of him. And they're like, oh, fuck, it didn't hit the default plant, man. Things heavier than a nitro cell. <laughs> That's always, like, my favorite thing to go and look back on. Like, the, the smoke looks so ridiculous. Smoke and yeah, the recoil. The recoil looks really weird as well. After they changed the recoil around, you go back and look at old recoil on the way oh, that yeah. the site, like, would bobble around. That and thing's flying. It, yeah, and you're like, wow, it's really stabilized now. And I, I mean, I think recoil's too easy where we are right now but i mean that's a conversation for another day a lot of people don't know that are new that you used to only be able to have that one drone out like you said maybe and there were some people who were a little confused and it's like yeah yeah you'd throw a drone you'd have your drone from the prep phase and if you threw your second drone your first drone would literally explode and it would be gone and that's it and you could only have five drones on the map at one time yep that was it you could not throw both your drones at the same time it would get rid of your get rid of your first drone yeah i miss acog on the smg 11 uh, that's what i was gonna say too like okay. smg 11 had acog at the time the pocket rocket I mean, yeah the blackbeard the blackbeard was insane at the time too like this was before capital even when we were playing i'm pretty sure uh like, pedux would have been yeah because yeah, capital yeah. and it would have been yeah because capital would have been or the fall just, and then red crow was the winter and you played in the summer Maybe he just yeah, I think we had cap. That he might have just I come out. It was ah, it's yeah. so long ago. I don't remember. But yeah, that was like 800 HP Blackbeard. Like, yeah, his gun did like 50 plus damage per bullet. Yeah, it was fun. Eh? All right, I'm I'm pulling it up right now. It was yeah, he was a thing. Yeah, it was no, it was November, so it was right before it was right before Red Crow. So basically, you played, and then Red Crow came out at the event like was the season reveal yes and then echo and habana came out right after you guys played and then there was si and then after that was velvet shell that's when rook was like still a must pick like yeah like what what a time like rook was a was a staple in your lineup like you're like yeah we gotta have a rook on this side <laughs> so for the people that aren't in the chat that go back this far because obviously this match was played november 2016 which is insane that it was almost four years ago. Insane. Continuum versus playing ducks was a, a very exciting matchup, and you all should. It go was back definitely and exciting. It. Yeah, it's I know. I know that season, obviously so. Meepy is a bit biased. I think for yeah. good reason. But yeah, I've been there too, man. Like I can't lie. Like 2018 Invitational, that was an exciting match, man. Exciting. That's the greatest match that I think we've ever had. Yeah. It is what it is. Feels bad, man. How, how great would it have been if you had won, Troy? 2018 Invitational? <laughs> that, would have been, that would have been pretty fucking cool. So, I'd have... Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if I'd have three hammers, because I don't like it. Who knows what would have happened after that, you know? Right. Who knows what would have happened to, to, to Penta if they had to change anything? I mean, who knows what would have happened with evil geniuses? Yeah. But, um, so let's move on from, from that particular match. Because I don't obviously want to dwell on something that's not exactly yes. the greatest memory. Somebody <laughs> wanted you to do a VOD review of it in chat, by the way, maybe. Oh, but if, you've, yeah. if you haven't gone back that's and rewatched it. What? I get that request. No. I get the request often, and it is no. often declined. That, is, <laughs> that one's foul. Um, like, no. 
so you go into the uh you go into the six invitational qualifiers you don't make it womp womp uh next season of pro league happens um and then you have the season after that and you do okay but you don't replicate that same success you fall off to a certain extent and then the mutiny as you called it so you become technically i don't know after snooking those yep do you want to take us through i know you've talked about this in the past to a certain extent do you want to take us through what happened to cause the team to split up um to idk to secret to splitting up um is that what you're talking about yeah i mean the you had obviously a contentious split where you went one way and the swedes went the other way right uh, yes so the 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 background behind all of this is that we felt when we became i don't know from snook and nose we removed snook from the roster because it felt like he wasn't really putting all of his time and effort into like improving and he wasn't doing the best so it was like it made sense the team agreed yeah sure we'll just get a new guy in um we'll bring in leon uh, and see how that goes and at the end of it all, um, it was very clear that the Swedes wanted to get to a, an event. It was very, very clear, very, very simple. Like Renewals basically said, like, look, if at any point we don't get to the, an event at the end of this season, if we don't make it to the, the finals, I'm going to quit. So it was like, okay, a bit more pressure, sure, but fine. Um, we miss out on it by like a match, I think. I think we miss out by like a couple of points or some shit like that. I don't remember exactly. And I remember very vividly, at the very end of the match, before, sorry, just as the you lose the match, and then the score pops up, Renault says, all right, guys, I quit the team. It's been fun. GG's. Gone. And I'm like, damn, okay. Um, well, it looks like we're going to have to find a new guy. Um, then about a week later, secretly says, look, guys, um, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave the team. I'm going to look for something else. Um, I might take a break. I don't know. I'm like, fair enough. Um, I guess we'll just have to find some new players. Uh, try and replace everyone, get the team going before the next season starts. And then the three Swedes form um, their own roster. Um, they message ESL. Um, and ESL's like, yep, you got three out of five. All is good. And then I message ESL like, uh, we have three out of five. And they were like, eh, we'll have to see. <coughs> And there's some, there's some like more drama like beneath the whole surface about you know I won't take the team if these are the I'll only take the team they'll only take the spot with the three out of five rule if I can get these certain players on my team which they never ended up getting but they took it anyway. It's it's a lot of it is old drama it's old hashed drama, and it's really irrelevant these days. Um, sure, it's still a pain in the ass that they went back on the word, but. At the end of the day, business is business, and I can understand, like, hey, we want to play in Pro League, they want to play in Pro League. They'll do whatever they can, we'll do whatever we can. That's just how it goes. It is business as usual, unfortunately. It's a rough world, but the strange irony of it all is that IDK slash Secret went to tons of LAN events, had mixed placings at the very high and the very lows, um, and overall had a more successful record in its time period than than the than their roster on, on Chaos and what, what it was before. I don't really hold that against them. I don't really talk about it that much, but 
if you do look at the nitty gritty of it, that is how it went down. I do believe that even though I got screwed over again, um, I got the better result out of it all, even if it was a little bit more drama and hardships. So it is what it is. Yeah, I was going to say when you when you look at it, I mean, you you ultimately got the last laugh. Um, you know, Alems is now on BDS. He's thriving. Leon Gids is on Rogue and Rogue didn't get relegated. Uh, you know, and now you're coaching United. You know, Lackey's obviously not with the scene anymore. Uh, Stizzy's not with the scene anymore, but or at least not actively at the top. And, you know, you look at Secret and, I mean, you finished fourth at the Raleigh Major. You put in a good run at a number of events. You were always competitive. You won DreamHack Valencia, you know, like, what more... What more could you really ask for? With with Chaos, obviously, they had support from their org. And, and for the record, I know a couple of people who work at Chaos Esports Club, and they seem like fantastic people. But at the end of the day, if I'm a company, how much money am I sinking into a roster that's going to show up and then finish in probably lower than eighth? Right? You can only keep giving so much experience to a team before you realize that it's just like, it's, it's, a, it's a poor investment. Um, and I was always kind of puzzled with that roster. And this is me setting aside my feelings of them snaking the spot. Because I remember at the time, the drama that embroiled a big part of the EU was that they said they weren't going to take the spot. They were going to try to put a roster together. They were going to try to compete and climb it up. And then next thing you know, they're like, actually, you know what? Yoink. So uh, setting those feelings aside, I just I always wondered why that team struggled so much because they, they had really good tools. And it's kind of like Vitality right now. That Vitality roster should be significantly better than they are. Same with Rogue, honestly. Rogue should be better than they are right now. This this split, whatever you want to call it. And I always wondered why Chaos just couldn't put it together. And then there, we'd start a season and Chaos would have like two really good matches and you're like, this is going to be their stage. And then no, it wasn't. And then they'd fall back to Earth. So, But you go on to IDK, you pick up uh, Stizzy and Lems. Stizzy, whose name I always mispronounce, by the way. Stiz. Steezy. I'd yeah, I mean... Still, this day, I have no idea how to pronounce it. The French pronunciation is Stiz, um, but we just call him Stizzy because we're English. Yeah, and we don't do French pronunciations. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't mind. He didn't care. Um, so this this IDK roster comes together, and you grind, and you grind, and you grind, and what? What? Other than the fact that you got you got screwed over, you know, you you stay in. You stay in in pro league for one season, then you end up going, and you're in. Next thing you know, you're in challenger league. What was it like from somebody like you who'd been competing at the top for so long to have to go down to Challenger League? How was that experience? Um, it's honest, honestly, it's a, it's a different world entirely compared to back then, at least compared to like the pro leagues, the teams that the way that they played back then was night and day difference to pro league teams. Pro league teams were much more structured. They had a lot more direction teams, teams in like the lower leagues, Challenger League, things like that. They were just wild. They'd do the craziest things. You couldn't, you couldn't counter-strat them at all. There was like maybe one or two teams in the entire, entire like, um, roster base that did any kind of formulated strats. The rest of them just picked operators with good guns and ran around. They lacked a lot of direction. They lacked a lot of experience, but they used that really well to better themselves. Nowadays, the Challenger League teams are like, well, in the previous iterations of Challenger League, at least, have been extremely good. I think the season of Challenger League, at least in Europe, is very top-heavy. Um, but back then, it was not easy. 
some of those matches, like, we really had to work our way back. I, I envy any team that gets relegated, to be frank. These days, it's, uh, it probably is a little bit easier for them. Teams now yeah. have really cottoned on how to get strategic, how to make the most out of it. Most Challenge League teams these days have coaches, analysts, um, in a way that makes people predictable. Um, it makes people readable. It makes prep easier. Back then, it was just the Wild West. Who, who, if you had a bad fragging day, then you're going to lose. Because they have a team of five top-level diamond players that are all Ash Yeager mains that can play every other role anyway. Good luck. Have fun. Yeah. When you so, say uh, EUCL is top-heavy... Um, sorry, Troy, I don't mean to interrupt here. When you say EUCL is top-heavy, I haven't really kept my finger on the pulse. Because EU, obviously, their Challenger League is now structured around the National Leagues. Yes. You think that's hindering the quality because teams have to slot into certain regions and that, let's say, you know, the best Polish team from Challenger League would actually be like the 14th best Challenger League team if it was a totally open system? Yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much agree. Not necessarily with like the, um, the analogy of Polish, but I, I like to look at like the, the French League. I think it was the fourth team or the fifth team got the, the, the Challenger League spot because it was filled with existing Challenger League or Pro League teams. I really am against professional teams playing in national leagues, especially if there's a spot on the line for a lower league than pro league. I agree with that. I don't think that. they have any place. They don't have any place being in there. I absolutely agree with that. It just hinders the competition. And now you look at our European Challenge League. It is dramatically top-heavy, where the top four teams are just demolishing everyone else. This was uh, something that we talked about in CCS, actually, because CCS used to be seen as... When CCS first started, I think the goal was to try to challenge Challenger League for relevancy in North America. And I mean, you had you had the team that is now Space Station playing in it. Uh, and you had the team at the time, which would end up becoming World's Best Gaming uh, in Pro League as well. So you had basically two Pro League caliber teams competing in this league that was also filled with a bunch of young gunners and, and kids that were under the age of 18 because there was no legal requirement for kids in CCS. And it's just like, well, what's your focus? Because you've got these two pro league teams that are just literally crushing every team they come up against. You know, we're talking five O's, five O's, five O's. And it's just like, why are they there? You, well, you want them because they bring interest and they bring visibility because you've got a bunch of T4 teams. You're going to be getting, you know, 60 viewers. But next thing you know, you know, you've got two guys from Flipside ringing on, you know, uh, bittersweet. And now you've got 200 viewers. Well, cool. But at the end of the day, it destroys the level of competition and i see the same thing it's like i'm looking at the german league and i see like g2 competing and i'm thinking to myself like why the fuck are you giving a spot to g2 they don't need to compete in your national league right like what was it team secret won the nordic league or something like that and it's like well like cool but who are they playing against right yeah yeah i didn't i'm not a fan of that yeah that makes sense i never I mean, I haven't been involved in it that much, so I haven't really thought or like watched the National Leagues too much, but yeah, that kind of makes sense. It kind of just throws off the whole dynamic. It's it's just it's puzzling to me. And I mean, we've got issues now with, with NACL, and I, I will say this, I don't like the way that we structure our North American Challenger League one bit. No. Um You know, I I no no shade to the people competing, but I think that if you look at all the teams that are in NACL and you don't think that the last dance was the best team, then you are a lunatic. 
you know, and, and now they now that I mean, they're basically gone and they now have to wait a year. To do anything. Yeah, they like I, I wouldn't I think they're the best team in Challenger League, but like either way, like even if you don't want to say like they're the clear cut best team, just the fact like they they played the first split, they got first in that first split. Or whatever it was, I don't know the first season of Challenger League. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, but they they played that got first in it, and it's literally irrelevant. And then they play one match in the second split and they lose it. Yep, also it. against a good team. Like it wasn't like they lost it against a bad team. They lost against Ape and then they're out. That's it. Yeah. They're done for a year. Like I don't know. That's kind of ridiculous. Who's it, who are in the finals now? It's rent free versus uh, Is it Beast, Beast Coast? Coast? It's rent free yeah. Beast Coast, yeah. And then one of them will play like, Tempo Storm. And I mean, yeah. if I'm Tempo, I'm worried, but I still think the Tempo is better than both those teams. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, um, it just depends how Tempo shows up. Tempo's just like inconsistent with how they show up. Yeah, I feel. And I hate to, I hate to point the finger at my best friend, Jarvis, but they need a big game out of him if uh, if they want to be competitive. You know, the stats came out today. Uh, I think he has the worst rating. Of anybody who's played more than two or three games in the NA League, so I mean they they're you're gonna need a you're gonna need a big game out of him. You can't have you can't have creators or Dream have to carry the whole match, which is what I find happens often from Tempo. And yeah. we we can get into Tempo because obviously Meepy, now that you are coaching an NA team, mm-hmm. you are going to have some thoughts on that. But let's go back to let's go back to Secret here. So obviously you go through you go through allegations, uh, you know you. They beat Oplon. Cool. I believe they were called Oplon, yeah? Yeah, they were. Um, and then you have a pretty good run. I mean, hey, you uh, you know, you go through the qualifiers, you, you go to DreamHack Valencia, you win. You go to the Paris Major, you finish top four. You get picked up by Team Secret at this point. Now, the Team Secret conversation that was going around, were you in contact with them prior to your DreamHack Valencia win, or do you think it was the win in Valencia that got you on their radar? It's funny you say that. Um... So I was at the airport in Valencia. Um, I was sat at my gate on the floor, and I'm scrolling through Twitter. And boop, you have a direct, you have a DM. I'll open it up, and hey, there's Cyborg Matt. Hey guys, do you need an organization? It's like, oh, yes, we do. So yes, it was from uh, it was from the victory. They were watching. Uh, apparently, they saw us play. They were really pleased with the way that we performed. They gave us um, the best. Well. Technically, the best deal out of all the teams that were gunning for us. Um, the best deal we got from was from like a Call of Duty org that went under like two months later. Are you willing, so to, are you willing to spill? I do not remember the name. All I remember is that they were a Call of Duty org and they were offering a lot of money, uh, but it looked too good to be true. Well, they went under, so and it probably was. was. Yeah, it <laughs> yes, sounds like it exactly. was. Exactly, yeah. So we did all our research on all the teams and we, we saw that like Team Secret was like uh, a huge Dota presence. Uh, one of the best Dota two teams in the world, probably I think still is one of the best teams. Yeah, the, their their team seeker right now would be hands down the favorite to win TI were it happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're like, damn, okay. So um, they offered us, um, as far as like rates go, they offered us like a, a semi-competitive rate given like the current salaries at the time. Um, but it was more like the structure, the stability, the guarantee of a paycheck. Um, no shady business, just straight edge. This is what happens. This is what we expect of you. 
this is what you get from us. Signed on the dotted line. And then I think it was like a month later off to Paris. So they come in and obviously they pick you up. You get, I remember Secret getting leaked. Yes, I remember that too. <laughs> I don't, on, I, honest to God, um, whoever made that graphic at ESL needs their wrist slapped for what they did. Oof. How, how, you put the Secret logo on the graphic in the bottom corner. I mean, yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. Oops, my bad. No, it's okay. Uh, I don't know if Ice Cold is still in here. Um, people are saying that it was Denial Esports that apparently reached out to you, the Call of Duty org. I don't remember, honestly. I mean, Denial Esports were... Uh, anyway, there are shitty orgs I like to dunk on. Well, they're easier Denial's to dunk on. They're easier to dunk on than a Fisher Price now. Let's put it that way. So, um... So it was Ghost Gaming. Ghost, ghost Gaming is it, it, still it around, ghost. though. It wasn't Ghost. Um, ghost was another offer we got, but it was a lower offer than what Secret gave us. Um, there was like a, it was a, it was another Cardog Helby, if I remember correctly. Ghost was in the running for us, though. I remember, uh, I remember Ghost uh, had reached out to me to pick up uh, one of the one, another EU team that wasn't you guys, and then I gave them a bunch of information on a bunch of different orgs. And then I later followed up with the team and the team was like, yeah, they offered us garbage money. And I was like, seems to be, seems to be a reoccurring theme here where big yeah. orgs want to come in and they're like, yeah, we'll pay you like $400 a month. And it's yeah. like, that's terrible. And they're like, yeah. okay, well, you know, take it or leave it. So there's a lot of orgs back then. Um, a lot of orgs back then when we were SNOs, um, IDK, that like wanted to pick us up. There were big, big brand names that just offered really little amounts. And the ironic part is that some of those uh, big brand names are in siege right now with big teams. Yep. Um, and they are actually getting a good salary versus yeah. what they offered us. Yeah, I mean there was a uh, um, there was a team in one of the one of the first big orgs that came in uh, and made a big splash. Picked up a team. And I just remember one of the players at an event came up to me and was like, we have an awful fucking contract. What do you think we should do? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, how long is your contract? And they're like, two years. And I thought, <laughs> I asked them how much they were making and all that jazz. And the player told me, and I was just like, dude, that's like, go to Ubisoft. If, if you're worried about that, see if they can possibly get involved. I was like, I can't help you, but that's a garbage contract. I was like, I think it's worth, that thing's worth nothing. And now, and now, and now they're getting paid quite well, and their contract's they... really good, and and they're getting total support from the org. But it was rough at the start. So, what were they doing signing a shit contract for two years, though? Dude, the, this is the thing, though. I mean, you'll remember this. Rainbow Six went from no big orgs to ten big orgs in the span of four months, right? Like, yeah. And all the big orgs that came in, the thing that a lot of these teams didn't have wasn't was somebody with any form of business sense you know these this is oftentimes they didn't even have coaches this, these were five kids five 18 to 20 year old kids whose whose orgs that they've looked up to since they were a, a child like your optics and your phase clans and your and your envies and all that stuff that you grew up watching in call of duty are now coming knocking at your door being like hey we'd love you to be a member of our of our team we'd love you to rep our name and our logo and they're like 
and they don't even think about it and they don't think about that it's a business they're just like oh my god i get to play for optic yeah let's do it and then they just sign the contract without realizing oh shit i'm getting paid 450 bucks us a month for two fucking years like yeah. they don't think it through they're just so excited and and we're kidding ourselves if these orgs don't know this and play it to their advantage right like it sucks now we're in a better place where at least ubisoft seems to with the with the pilot program such r6 phase it seems to be the rumor going around that orgs treating their players well and having good contracts is a requirement which is thank god yes um but i mean i still hear things from teams about how terrible their orgs are and decisions that orgs are making and you know that kind of stuff and it just makes me shake my head Hmm. a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes the community will arguably never see the light of day of it yeah but it does circulate within the private channels and that that was the lg eg situation too i mean eg was a tremendous orc there's a reason why you didn't see there's a reason why you didn't see so much hatred and outcry for eg when the whole lg eg situation went down why did you see such an outcry for lg well because i have three of the lg players in my dms telling me how terrible the org is how terrible the org leadership is how they've never had any contact with the org at all how the org is openly lying on twitter about things about how the players are afraid of going negative against them because they're afraid of getting kicked out of the house early and then in their contract it specified that they can't speak poorly of them and blah 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 and it's like people will never see this and then people will go off and be like oh my god like these poor players like ubisoft's fucking over lg and it's like nope <laughs> that's not accurate but ubisoft is never going to come out and say that and, you know, ESL is never going to come out and say that. Same with the visa situation. I really wish I could tell you the things that a player's told me about that, the Japan visa situation because it would totally change people's opinions. But this is information that is not public and won't ever be. Exactly. And ESL just has to kind of sit there and just take their lumps. And same with Ubisoft because they can't, it's not like they can give a black eye to an org, right? So, but, um, so anyway, uh, Team Secret comes in. And that, for the people that don't know, by the way, um the paris major like what was it it was the groups it was the groups announcement where you got leaked yeah. yes yeah yeah so so basically according to to bartosh uh ice cold who's in the chat who used to run the esl social media he now runs the, the main face at social media for rainbow six said we just got an image and we're told hey you have to use this just put this up for the group draws Oh, and no. the way that it used to work was that we used to draw the groups on a show no it was not rigged we would literally be sitting at the desk. They would bring in four containers with the balls in them. You could not see through the balls. They were not marked in any way. We just opened them up. It wasn't rigged? It was not rigged. <laughs> it is, I know it is unbelievable to think that. But no, it was not rigged. And we would always swirl it around too. So even if they'd place them in some kind of order and they're like, you just hear like, the one at the back is EG, pick that one first. <laughs> it's like, no, we're not going to do that. So we always swirled it around. Um... And so, so the group announcement goes up and it's like group draw after like EU league Thursday evening. And then it's got all the logos of the teams that are confirmed on it. And then there's this, there's this weird looking eye in the bottom corner and there's no IDK logo. And you're like, Hmm. hmm. <laughs> and I just remember, and then 10, then team secret announced and everybody was like, we never guessed this. Like, that's crazy. Wow. Uh, so you come to the Paris Major and you you dominate 
you came to you came to DreamHack Valencia, you dominate, you continue to go on this run, you come to the Paris Major. You think that was the peak of Team Secret? You think that was the peak of the roster? No. I think we peaked after Vegas, after we won Vegas and went into Rally, personally. Um, I think Paris was a really big high point in our weird roller coaster experience. Um, but the defeat against um, G2 um, was worse than our defeat against Empire, in my opinion. I think G2, absolute, G2 at that point in time was undoubtedly the best team that Siege has ever seen. Um, I think it'll be a long time till we get another Siege team that it was as dominant as they were. Uh, and they beat us like it was nothing. Uh, despite us like beating them a month prior versus um, when they were Penta, that team that turned up to that event, nah. Well, that's DreamHack Valencia was when they were changing around all their roles, right? At DreamHack Valencia when you guys won? Because you beat them in the head-to-head and what was it, the quarters? Yeah. You knocked uh, them out You knocked them out in the quarters. Quarters or semis? One of those two. Uh, let me, I don't have Valencia. Because I know the, the grand up. finals were against uh, Vitality. Yeah, you beat Rogue in the semis, I thought. Or the other way around. Let's look. You beat okay. No, no, no. You beat Rogue in the quarters. You beat Penta in the semis. I had them. I had them backwards. Yeah, and then and then Penta. But when okay, so G two at DreamHack Valencia though. That's when they had Pengu IGLing, if you remember. I I thought it was um, a Fabian Pengu mix, personally, but I don't know. I what I heard. What I heard was that. At the event, the idea was for them to split, but then there was some big internal conflict and shake-up, and Chas had no cho- no choice but to basically be like, Pengu, you're IGLing for the whole thing. I'd never heard of that, to be frank. That's, I knew, what, I was, I that's that, what I was told. I could be wrong. But... I knew that there was some like kind of an internal turmoil between the team. Um, but I, I, like, no offense to them, I always took that as like, ah, uh, we didn't lose because we were bad, we lost because we were having an argument. Right. I always took it as like an excuse in my mind because like, yeah, yeah, you just lost those. Okay, sure. Yeah, but, and I mean we do hear that a lot. I mean, it, if, I if mean, that's Penta. Case, then fair enough. Yeah, and I mean Penta loves to use it towards Liquid as well. I mean, they Penta has a has a laundry list of excuses as to how they lost to Liquid in Atlantic City. You know, the big one obviously being, oh well, they just abused Lion and Ying. Which sure, maybe they did, but I mean Penta could have as well. But then they also picked up Kanto with basically two weeks experience to fit onto that roster. I mean, I don't know, but so you win DreamHack Valencia, you come to, you come to the Paris major boy. Do you ever cut it close? (laughs) You come to the Paris major and you do really, really well. Um, Then you're in pro league and then, you know, it's season, season eight. Was it? Yeah. Season eight. You remember, you remember season eight. Do you remember how many points you finished with in season eight? No, I actually don't. You remember where you finished in Season 8? I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of that I've completely forgotten about. This, I don't really go back and reminisce, to be frank, so you're going to have to tell me. That was, that was where you missed out on the finals by a single point oh, when you yes. drew I against Market. <laughs> yeah. I remember. I remember that match. And, and then on the very final week, in the most poetic fashion possible, you played Chaos... But Mocket had already beat Millennium ahead of that. So that could have been such a good storyline. If Mocket lost and then you have to play Chaos and the winner of that goes to LAN, 
If you beat Chaos, you go to land, and then you stab them in the hearts, and then you get your revenge, and you go to land, and it didn't end up happening because Mocket Mocket blew it, and then they they went to Brazil oh, Hel instead. Helby just said in chat that there was the invitational point too. Yeah, because the yeah top two teams. Oh, yep. Well, that was why you got to do was this. That was when Corey was crouch spamming, right? Yep. Yep. C C C C Corey. Corey. Yeah. Yeah. Good time. Yeah. Wait, did he play Blitz in EU at the time, or was it only at that LAN in Brazil? I don't recall. Because I, I remember he was doing the crouch spam, and I, he started doing it with Blitz, but I don't remember if he did that in EU or if he I thought he played Ash and I thought he played Ash and IQ. He did, but I swear he did it with Blitz, too. I think that came later. Yeah. Like the ridiculous Blitz mechanics of uh, the, like the crouch QE spam. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Somebody shared a it's video so of that ridiculous. on Twitter the other day, and it's just fucking insane. I forgot how it looked. It's just like <laughs> a he looks like the barbarian from Diablo 2 <laughs> Whirlwinding. Like, you cannot hit him. He's just a shield just, tornado. You couldn't take it serious. Like, he would run at you, and he'd just be fucking moving all around, <laughs> and you just, like, like, you wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Like, oh... Season 8 in Europe was actually one of, uh, I think, one of the most interesting seasons that we ever had. Uh, number one, it was the last time that a majority of players were French. Uh, that's when you had Millennium, Vitality, and Supremacy, and then the French players on your team as well. Um, yeah. When I, th th I, If I remember correctly, that was the last season that it was majority French. Because then Ence ended up being Supremacy and coming back in, and then uh, you had some roster change-ups as well that, that put orgs off of their, their main language, and you started to see more of a melting pot of Europe. Um, and I mean, the if you want to go back and really dive into Europe, uh, there were almost always three to four French teams every single season. You know, over half of EUL was French when I first started. So uh, that was that was significant. It was also one of the worst seasons that we ever saw in Supremacy, which, if I remember correctly, only gets trumped by Ents uh, after that, which is kind of sad. That was when Supremacy were literally garbage and they beat Vitality in the second last match of the season in way too close of a match of the two worst teams. And then that's when you were one point off. Um, and G2 was G2 didn't like lose a single game until the very end. So um, when they lost to Penta and the hint of irony, season eight was actually fascinating for Europe. And I'm sorry that it brings up bad memories for you, but I thought it was, it was fascinating to, to talk about. It's always interesting. I think it is. Um, because a lot of there are many people that are going to be watching this that didn't follow Rainbow Six Esports in season eight. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're talking we're talking two years ago. It was yeah. fall twenty eighteen. That predates. It's actually it. crazy how long this game's been around, man. Yep. Yeah. I feel like I started playing yesterday. <laughs> well, it really does. Like, it's it's so bizarre to look back and like I'm. Like, it's so like um when I was an analyst, um I had like something that tracked like operators and stuff, and it goes literally in the order of which operators are added to the game. And I just happened to notice that we had a game with Vigil, but no Maestro at some point. And that mm -hmm. just blew my mind that Maestro wasn't released, but Vigil was, but I cannot actually remember that point in time. I remember it. <laughs> I remember Weird. it. The SM the SMG what SMG twelve was, was the best gun in the game. Yes, bro. And I was just Dude. running around and I was fucking playing Windows. I was fighting window repels constantly, Vigil. Good times. Good I mean, times. he also has the C75. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he does. Really? Really? 
I've never equipped it. I've only <laughs> used the SMG-12. Sure. Um, only, a f- only a fool would use such a gun. <laughs> CZ-75. You can't see shit with that thing. Who would use it? Meepy said oh, that. I probably remember, I remember that- Meepy, you were streaming one day, and... It, it was back when it was back before people had figured out the SMG 12 had perfect recoil for headshots. And the thing was just like, you could just mag dump and just shred people. And everybody was high on the C seven five because the thing had basically zero recoil and it had good DPS and it would just tear through people. And I remember watching you stream one day and I asked you, and I was like, why are you using the SMG 12? Like, that's so weird. I saw you using it in pro league as well. And you just go no fucking way. I'm hitting anything with those sites. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then people just figured out that the SMG 12 was amazing. And next thing you know, Vigilant Dokubi's pick rates fucking soar because everybody's just using the the SMG 12 to kill everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, that's when Dokubi was the main fragger. Like, (laughs) I I remember, um, I was a Dokubi player. Um, I remember we had some scrims versus, um, before there were Dark Zero team names. Flipside. SK. SK, yeah. yeah. We were scrimming SK, and it was like during the Lion meta. And uh, Lion scan goes off. Um, it's coastline. I run in through main lobby, straight into the bathroom, straight into delivery. Lion scan goes off. Everyone on site gets pinged for some rem- some reason. I'm just like, um, SMG 12, free kill, free kill, free kill. I-, I kill like four people on site with just the SMG 12, just running in because of the Lion scan. Like, yeah. there were some ridiculous combinations. Like, Oh, yeah. This game is so weird. <laughs> gone through so many strange metas. Yes. Like the glass meta. I kind of oh. miss the glass meta, man. I kind of miss it. We were talking about I this had, the other day. I actually kind of miss the glassing meta as well. It was very easy to watch. I had some fun with glass, man. I don't know. Kind of miss yeah, it. I hate that. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. You'd hotbox the entire site. And then Glaz would literally glide through like he was Neo from the Matrix. <laughs> no one could kill him, but he's going to kill you. Hide in the corner, go prone. You're in the smoke. You're dead. Doesn't matter. Nightmare fuel made Coastline a literal nightmare. The main reason why I think Penthouse went out of fashion. Oh my god, yeah. What about, um, what about Glaz Ying on Clubhouse as well? I mean, it was it was crazy on like any map. Any trying to defend downstairs with Glass Ying, where it's just like the moment a hatch gets opened, you're fucked. You're just getting yeah. three candelas dumped in a glass is dropping because that's that's when Ying had smokes as well. <laughs> so Ying had two smokes. Oh yeah, and three candelas, and it's when the candelas were reversed. So you throw a candela and it goes off immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. You open the kitchen hatch. You smoke default. You smoke back of arsenal. You throw a Christmas tree disco season fucking worth of candelas in. Glass drops like a sniper, pulls it up, and it's just three people are dead. And you're yeah. like, the fuck am I supposed to do right now? Like, you're just, you're, somebody's playing behind boxes by dummies, and, and they're like, throw the C4, man. throw the C4. <laughs> That's all you can do. It's crazy, because at that point in time, there was literally only two counters to yeah. Glazying, and that was to kill Glazying yes. before they had a chance to execute, or you pray to Jesus that that Nitro gets a triple kill. <laughs> Yes, it was it was one or the other. Like you either had to like counter smoke and hide and like throw C fours and stuff and then like try to retake, which is I don't know. Good luck. On some sites good luck. Or yeah, you had to play crazy aggressive and kill them early. Which op- that was viable. Cons- you'd open up consulate garage, they'd smoke off between black and white, and then they'd smoke off like the front of the garage and it's just like nobody peek, we know he's out there. Oh yeah. <laughs> you just know he's waiting. 
Literally. Oh yeah, you would just hear all the smokes bloom. You just <laughs> and like cafe, like on bar, you just hear them all pop. And he's like, "Glasses there, man. Don't peek. Stay down, boys." <laughs> it's like the beginning scene of Saving Private Ryan when they land on the beach and the door comes down. And oh, it's just yeah. like gunfires just coming in. You're like, you just like look up. There's all smoke on the ridge. There's nothing you can do. But yeah. Um. So so after uh, after the Paris Major. Um, because we still have a lot to go. We still have to go through the, the trials and tribulations of Secret, and then uh, you have to go through your Challenge League run, and then obviously moving to E United now. Um, so after that, you uh, you just kind of soldier on. You miss out on you miss out on Rio. Uh, kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. And then uh, and then things kind of go a little south in season nine. So you go from missing out on the six invitational by a single point. You go from missing out on Rio by a single point. Within the span, by the way, of two months of you winning DreamHack Valencia and finishing top four in the Paris Major and then finishing third, one point off of six invitational in the next season finals. The season after that, that takes place from December to January. You end up one point off of dead last. What happened? I wish I knew. It's one of those weird phenomenons where you go through an extremely high high, and then it's like the roller coaster just breaks, and you just fall off the ride. Um, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon because it it doesn't only happen once in my in my career with IDK Secret. It happens twice. It happens the next year too. And I, the way that I chalk it up, is that. We had an extremely high high, and I think that blew out our confidence. That we felt like we were invincible, that we were going to beat everybody. When in reality, in the previous tournaments, we've always come in as the underdog. There's been very little pressure on us. Teams have always talked down to us. Um, People who do predictions have always predicted us to lose. And there was never any pressure to perform. So when we went into those matches, it 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 was literally always, all right, guys. No one gives a damn whether we win or lose, so let's just play. And we end up playing, we have fun, we have a laugh, we make jokes, and we end up winning. And eventually it gets to that point where everything builds up, and now, hey, maybe Team Secret's going to start winning a lot. Maybe, maybe they're actually really good. The pressure's building, and all of a sudden like you have all the commentators and the spectators and the people who do the analytics like, hey, Team Secret, look out for those guys. They're going to bite your heads off. And then we turn out to be little chihuahuas. Uh, it's a weird phenomenon that literally happened twice. I blows my mind when I think about it. I just don't have a, a good answer. I mean, I think you described it well. I think that happens to any team. The thing was is that, like the mostly other teams, I think that it's like evidently ha- it hasn't happened like as drastically. I feel like, but like it's happened to any team that's like one. I think like G two has fallen right like from being like the clear-cut number one and then they had their period where they fall they're they're recovering now i think yeah they're a different team now also yeah. but um like i think that happens to any team it happened to empire i mean it happened to us on eg it happened like happens to anyone i mean uh, you could even say it's happened to us on ss tree now like we're not in absolute top form we're like we're clear-cut number one or something you know um I don't I don't think we were at invitational anyways either. We won it, but I think it was close. So 
uh, that's a bit different. But still, I, I think that happens to any team with with winning. I think it was a bit different in your guys' situation because of like you got you guys won minors, and then well, it, like the second time it happened that you're referencing as well, like you guys were in Challenger League when it happened, so it was kind of weird because like you guys won an event with like all these pro teams, and like you everyone knew that you guys were good. Like no one like. Yeah. Was like, oh no, they're just a challenge league team. Like, no one saw you guys as that, but, um, but you guys were in challenge league, so it was a bit weird. Um, so yeah, it, it it's it's that weird phenomenon, and I think it it happened like especially strangely with you guys because of like the situation you guys were in. But uh, yeah, I think that's just kind of the struggles of a team, and just as as teams go on like as as you do better you have higher expectations of yourself and then you get punished for it and whatnot um put more pressure on yourself people aren't having as much fun because of it so on and so forth yeah i i think it's also that people tend to have quite short memories and they don't remember the days of eu being incomparable in terms of depth in co- when you look at the other regions like yeah on the na broadcast we love to hype up how competitive north america is and i do genuinely believe this is the most competitive that we've ever seen na top to bottom but people also forget that there were years three and a half years i would say where europe was the uncontested best region in the entire game and it wasn't just one team everybody loves to kind of hand wave away the importance of eu and say oh well it's just because g2 existed if g2 doesn't exist i think there's three other teams in that region that are capable of beating na and and beating latam i know troy might disagree with me on this one but i mean go back and and to me the most competitive time we've ever seen uh, Europe. I mean, the EU Alcasters are probably going to say now is is probably the most competitive we've ever seen. I disagree. Uh, I think that season 11, the final season of ESL's tenure as tourney organizer, I think that is the most competitive that we've ever seen out of Europe. That's when I think you had eight teams that could have all been spectacular. And if you remember that four-way race to the wire for the the spots in Tokonami, or, or for Sao Paulo, sorry, the, how close it came down, that the stats back that up. But the season in which you got relegated, season nine, to me, is the second most competitive season in any region ever. You look at the stats for that, and yeah, Empire and Lestream kind of ran away with it. But from G2 in third all the way down to Navi in eighth, it's 21 to 11 points. There were no bad teams. And both you and Navi beat good teams along the way. Yeah. There was, it, it, was not, it was not a given that the good teams were going to do well and the bad teams were going to do poorly. That was an immensely competitive, very, very competitive season. And even the worst team, technically the worst spread, were you guys. And you went 61 rounds for, 86 rounds against. That's not as big of a gap as you would imagine from a team that finished second last. Yeah. It is significantly worse for a lot of teams, which leads me to believe that all of the games were close. Every single match was close. Every single game was close. There were few blowouts. So you end up getting relegated in... I would say the second closest season that we've ever seen from any region only eclipsed by season 11 in Europe and you get relegated by vitality. Another really good team for the record who very obviously could have been in pro league. If you were to expand to 10, I think you hold on to your spot. And then what happens right after that? You get relegated 
literally a month later, you fly to Las Vegas and you win the Las Vegas minor. And then, and then a month or two after that, two months about after that, you fly to Raleigh and you finish in the top four. So that's what I'm saying when I talk about how competitive EU is, because you win a couple freak matches, you lose a couple freak matches, that's your season. Yep. Everybody's going to have a bad game here or there. Everybody's going to have weird losses. Everybody's going to have weird wins where, you know, one or two rounds go wrong. And with how close teams are, one or two rounds make a whole difference. Yeah, I mean... At the time, um, I think that was just when um, Stizzy decided that he was going to go pursue uh, schooling, go back to school, get his degree and all that good stuff, which I think he's doing pretty well on. Um, I've not spoken to him in a long time, unfortunately, but Leon has, and apparently he's doing quite well. Um, we picked up Feral. Um, now, Feral for, Feral for the Allied Miner and for Rally was instrumental because he was the most crazy, wild, aggressive player I think I've ever played with. And he did it in a way that he would always communicate what he wanted to do, what he was, what the results he wanted to get and how we can help him do it. And it would be, it, it ranges from the, the smallest of things, just like jumping out a window to the biggest, like, Hey guys, it's coastline. Um, the defending kitchen, no one's in kitchen. Uh, the guy in some is distracted. If we all just jump in through this window and kitchen, we can win the round. So, all right, let's do it. And we do it. And we win the round. He brought that wild, unpredictable aggression that really gave us a massive advantage over all of the other teams. Because, like, at the time, like, I was doing most of the IGLing with, with Leon. But with Feral on board, we now have this, like, three-way um, IGLing experience where I'm much more, like, grand strategy-based. Leon does a bit of, bit of micromanagement in the rounds. But then you have Feral that just is the wild card caller. And he gave us a ridiculous amount of firepower because the dude himself was nutty. He, he could really <laughs> aim. But not, not even just in game, in that whole God, one of the most impressive flameouts I've ever seen on Twitter. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. You sad little um, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. His wildcard stuff just made us unpredictable. Like, as random rounds, he's like, right, guys, we can rush. And I'd always trust his call because he wouldn't call it otherwise. And that just, that just carried his heart. That really did get us some rounds on the board. He was a very, very influential player. And I'm really sad that he's retired and he's done. You made a couple roster moves, actually. I mean, you dropped Lackey for... Uh, was Vonkers technically replaced him directly, yeah. and then yeah, Farrell replaced Stiz. And yes, um, I mean, it is kind of weird that most of the players that you dropped just left. It was like the last stop was Team Secret, you know, and then and then after that they were they were gone, and you know the the two sole in game survivors, I guess technically right now are Alems on BDS and Leon on Rogue, um. Yeah. Fonkers is still playing. He was playing on the old Sisu roster that just disbanded, right? Um, uh, no, he's on, no, he's on M&M. M&M, right? M&M. Yeah, M&M. Okay. And it is very challenging well. for me to keep track of all the EUCL stuff yeah, while trying to keep you. an eye on the... I don't blame you. Trying to keep an eye on the NACL stuff, too. It's insane. But, 
you definitely had a very interesting team and and you know i i always kind of secret for me was it was very hard to do research on you because you would be online very inconsistent and then at lan you'd always win or at least win enough and it's like okay well you've got you know how do i contextualize casting team secret well there's an unpredictability to the way that you play there always has been you know i remember one of the first matches when you were back on when you were back on snook and nose and i remember on coastline the first time i'd ever seen it back when teams used to play penthouse theater habana would vault into vip and would ex kairos the wall into the back of penthouse well you would play as pulse underneath and you shot out the floorboards and then inside a kitchen you'd shoot the ex kairos from down below and then once that was done, you'd like swing up cool vibe stairs and as quickly as you can to contest. And I'm like, this guy's a maniac, you know, and you've always been, your teams have always been hard to cast from that angle, but always fun to cast because shit just happens. And you're like, there's obviously a very deep strategy here. Yeah. And we can't pick up on it right away because there's a lot of moving parts that aren't seen from the spectator. Um, and then obviously you pick up Leon and Leon is just a fucking maniac. And then you pick up yeah. Farrell and Farrell's a fucking maniac and Fonkers is a fucking maniac. And it's like, you've got this team that is the, you, the in-game rainbow six equivalent of a bag of feral mongooses trying to fight their way out. <laughs> and it's, it's always fun to watch. Obviously it leads itself to unpredictability, but I would try to do research before events on you guys and it would be like, okay, well, you know, they struggled. They beat G2 twice in season nine, but then they, you know, then they lost to mouse sports or some dumb shit like that. And it's like, I don't understand. And then, oh, but then they just go to land events and they just win. So I could always just kind of fall back on when things started to go south, the panic button I could always hit as a caster was like, oh, it's land, it's land, it's land. They're doing well. They're doing yeah. well. This is why it's I mean, working. You know, like I can explain why. Please do. So when you're at home and you're playing an official match, um, you've got your slippers on, you've got your PJs on, you've got a, a nice drink next to you, you're really comfy and cozy, you're playing your pro league match, nothing's changed, you're at home, you're in your bedroom, you're in your office, you're wherever. When you get to LAN, you're in a hotel room, you're there to play, you wake up early every day, because you're demanded to wake up early every day if you want to get your practice in. You're there to play, not to explore, you are there as a player. And when you are playing on that stage, the nerves and the pressure really does build up. And I've always touted that the team that wins is the team that has the players that do things that make people win, if that weirdly makes sense. Um, so that's risk-taking. That's being unpredictable. That's making the plays that you need to make to win. When you're at home, you're cozy. Um, everybody is in that, in that mindset. You know, there aren't any external pressures on you other than you're there to play the game. You're, you, you finish the game, you go to your kitchen, shove some food in the oven whatever. But a LAN event, you're on a stage, you're in front of people, there's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in some cases watching online. If your playstyle isn't that unpredictable thing, then when you're on that stage, you are less likely to do it because you don't want to be the reason why your team loses. But if your playstyle is that unpredictable wildcard type crap, online, yeah, sure, teams can fight against it. Sometimes it's unpredictable. But on LAN, people don't expect it. Uh, and it's extremely successful if you've mastered it. Um, so it is very much a LAN play style. That's why it does work really well at a LAN event. Mr. Mr. Nadian, Mr. Big Bad Nadian, I agree. would you agree? Being, being unpredictable at a LAN is, uh, is strong. Um, something I've always thought like has set 
like the reason I thought we were as good as we were on EG and like G2 had the runs is because like we would change like how we would play maps throughout the event. Like we wouldn't play the, the map the same way throughout the event sometimes or like even on SS3 we did the same thing where like we, w- we would have like two different ways we would play a map uh, at Invitational and stuff like that uh, just to just to mix things up because yeah being maybe not to the same extent as Secret like we weren't fucking crazy like <laughs> making like not the same kind of crazy plays but like still unpredictability is it yeah it, it's even more effective on land for sure I think I mean, it's always effective regardless, I think. But yeah, uh, people people definitely don't handle it as well on land. And I think there's there's definitely teams out there that become more predictable at a land event and yeah, don't handle unpredictability as well because of it. So Yeah, it's pretty spot. Yeah. yeah, I agree with it. It uh, seems pretty accurate to me. So this was a conscious decision then. I mean, obviously, when you have players on the team that are capable of pulling off the madness that we saw, this was a deliberate decision to play as unpredictable as humanly possible? I think it just plays to your team's strengths. If you have players that are really itching to make plays and you keep shooting them down, eventually they'll just flat out stop making plays. They'll stop communicating that they want to make plays. They'll feel like they won't be able to make plays. They'll feel resentful towards the leadership that they are being constrained i think if you want a roster that doesn't do that then you don't pick up players that are like that it's as simple as you play to your players strengths you play the players strengths that work well with maps and that forms the core basis of what your map pool is then you start forming strats around those maps around the players you make the strats that help the players not the players that help the strats and then all of a sudden you have a team that is uh as you put it a bunch of mongooses trying to escape a bag Speaking of mongooses trying to escape a bag, or in this case, a bin, Leon Gids made a big name for himself when you picked him up onto your team, and I think it's fair to say that you gave him the biggest spotlight of his career and has now gone on to be one of the the most touted and most praised players in all of Europe. For the people that didn't really follow his story, what did you see in him when you took a chance on him bringing him to, on to that level? We needed a gunner. We needed um, a young gunner, to be more specific. Leon had just turned 18, I believe. Um, Farrell recommended him because he was our coach at the time. Um, and I remember very vividly, we're playing Oregon. And this is when, you know, it was like secretly renewals and all that. And <laughs> Leon's biggest weakness when he first was picked up is that he'd peak everything. The best idea, the worst idea, it could be the dumbest idea. He'd peak everything. And I very, very vividly remember secretly in his very Swedish accent saying, Leon, stop fucking peeking everything. And it I can was just hear a, the Swedish in it too. Yeah. Just, oh my God. Yeah. And it was literally the biggest part about tuning Leon to a professional mindset was getting into his brain when he should and when he shouldn't peek. And very slowly over time, we managed to draw that into him. We managed to keep his aggressive edge, but damn. He, he got very, very good at being our entry. Very good. That was a problem that Nick's had as well. And I mean, I think Troy, uh, Troy can probably attest to that just because you played against him. But I mean, I remember Nick's got brought up from, God, he was like tier three 
he was playing on Polar Ace or something like that. He got brought up to play on that flip side roster, SK roster, and everybody was kind of confused. And I just remember he was playing like Echo and he was just swinging. And it's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And I just don't know what it is. I, and I mean, I think it speaks to how poorly the strategy is or how poor the strategy is at a lower level that your first inclination as a tier two, tier three, tier four player is I'm just going to swing realizing that it's like you're costing yourself, you know, like I, yeah. There's just some players that love to peak, man. <laughs> just how it is. I mean, I mean there's a region I, full of them right now in APAC. Have you watched those? Dude, they peak like nobody's fucking business. I'm not even seeing shit on my screen as a, as a viewer and people are dying. I'm like, what is going on here? I mean, it's pretty strong right now, man. Swinger be swung, as they exactly. say. Exactly, exactly. Do you guys mind if we take a quick two-minute break? I just need to use the bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. Right. Yep. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. We're back in just a moment, boys. Yeah, I can, I'm just going to banter with Troy here. Um, so you're in the qualifiers. <laughs> yeah, man. How do you feel? In the qualifiers. Tell me, um, let's, talk, let's talk about them. Let's talk about the quals. What? You're in them. I'm in the qualifiers, man. You're, uh... It's Why are you, you so happy about this? It's you. No, I'm happy because I know that you... This is a, I get an opportunity to poke fun at you. But uh, it's you disrupt the Sonics and Mirage. Obviously, you're going to think that you're going to win. I think Smart Money says that you're going to make it out. But what do you think is going to happen? I mean, I have no idea. I just... We got to show up and play the game, man. You play Mirage, yeah. right? First yeah. round? we play Mirage. You gonna put Flynn in the dirt? I mean, that's the plan. He's very comfortable there. That's where he lives. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to get. A, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Just one match at a time. I mean, we got to prepare for everyone. We gotta. I don't know. We gotta focus on ourselves right now. Obviously, making some mistakes. Uh, haven't been as consistent as we'd like to be. So, yeah, just focusing on ourselves and improving. If you lose to Flynn, will it be the most humiliating loss of your career, trumping your loss to the Diz God in Rhea? That's a tough... No, probably not. Because, like, the one, the one in Rio was, like... I've told some people this, but, like... You've said it on the podcast coming, before. Coming into that event, I don't think we ever felt, like, more confident on EG, no. like... We felt like we were nasty. Like we were like, didn't matter who we scrimmed or who we played. Like we were slamming them. And like, we're not like, we were never a team that was like good in scrims and bad at matches. Mm -hmm. Like usually we were better in matches and like heading into that event, we were like nasty. So we, I mean, we were excited. We we're like, yeah, like this, this is our fucking time. <laughs> then then nope. it was not. You got to be by a coach. Fucking, it was Dizzle's time. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Mag Magnet's appendix tries to kill him, and what it really did was it killed your run at Rio. Yeah, so, I just remember, uh, I remember we were at the, the after party, and I just came up to you, and I was like, so how do you feel after this one? And you look at me, and you're just like, Dude, I just don't even know what to say. You're like, we were so ready. <laughs> yeah. just like, I don't know. You but, felt good. I mean, I hate to say it because obviously you making it to the finals of what have you played? What have you played? You would have played G2 in the semis, right? 
so yeah. yeah, so it would have been you and FaZe in the finals if you had to beat if you had to beat your way to the to the side of the bracket. So it would have been you versus FaZe in Brazil. I mean, regardless, I, I mean I think that's interesting though, because FaZe obviously probably viewed G2 more as villains than you guys. But I yeah. mean you're gonna be I will facing say it. we we kept beating FaZe, so that they Yeah. I don't know. They they probably really wanted to beat us. Yeah. Um I mean, that would have been interesting. I, I do hate to say it, though, but I mean, you gave us one of the most infamous matches of all time that. Yeah, I do that. Tend to do that. I mean, as somebody pointed out in the chat, they were absolutely correct. Uh, Rio was a team failure, you know, like it wasn't it wasn't like you. It wasn't like you single handedly blew it, right? So he just said rather than just one person like Milan. I mean, I, okay, okay. So, uh, I so wait, are you saying that, Parker? So are you saying that you're also a fucking dumbass? No, 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 no. I think uh, Geo was worse in Milan than you were. I think I, I think we all fucked up. I, I think, think I fucked up royally. I think you me. fucked up royally. I think Geo whiffed an entire clip without hitting <laughs> a single thing. That it, It's like Geo was like the scene from Pulp Fiction where the guy comes out and just sprays at Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta and doesn't hit a fucking thing. And then it's like, it's just like Dan or whoever it was on the stairs looks at him as like, do you know what divine intervention is? It was Scyther. It was Scyther, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then even then Young, like Young tried his best, but then Young also kind of blew it as well. It was like all, it was like just like a, it was like a fantastic breakdown all just happening in front of your eyes. So it it, it was bad. All right. Yeah. That was also a team failure though. I think I, I have always maintained like because we because even after that round, we still continue to fuck up as a team. Like, yeah, well, I mean, you threw the whole map and then another map. So yes, that was, yes, but I only rehash it because it's funny to poke fun at you for it because we are friends. But if you were to ask me seriously, what I think happened, I think geo was by far and away the worst component of that choke was geo afterwards because even though even though you fucked up on white stairs geo was your insurance policy baby you were fine he got it and he did not have it so that's how i saw it that's how i saw it. but i should have been in a corner closer to geo but it is what it is man i mean you were running the c75 you live and you, live and you learn you, you live, live and you learn. learn you won the six now, invitations now you don't run the matters. actually i still do run the cz75 but now i don't prone on the white stairs <laughs> Um, no, bro, that the SMG the SMG twelve is a liability. It happened to us at a at invite. There's a clip of it, like uh, it's from I think Achieved's point of view or something. Though we were playing against TSM on consulate, <clears throat> and Nade was in a one v one with Achieved, and I was just on the cam, like I was on the garage default cam, and Nade was like in the kitchen, and uh, Achieved was like by pipes, like on his way to kitchen, but like he had his back turned to Nade, and I'm on the cam. I know in the back of my mind. Because Nade, I forget what Nade was on. I think he was on Doke. Anyways, Nade's like shooting him in the back. I'm like, Nade, like he's at pipes. His back's turned to you. And I hear Nade shoot. And I just, I see the silhouette just turn on the cam and just kill Nade. And I was like, oh boy, I know what that gun did to him, bro. (laughs) Right after, right after that, (laughs) we got, we got like a a rehost like a couple rounds later because like there was like that maestro bug where the game freezes on land and on consulate. I don't fucking know. Yeah, it was the cam on basement for whatever reason. It would always freeze again. Anyways, we get the rehost after that. Nade takes it off all his fucking classes. He's like, (laughs) I'm never running that fucking thing again. I took it off too man fuck that gun the cc 75 is better all right so let's 
let's go through the the last portion here, which is basically the the fall from grace before you move to coaching, if I can refer to it as that. Yeah, that's the way I refer to it myself. And you know, you 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 escape the the major in Raleigh, and everybody's like, "Wow, they did really really well." You know, you go into you know you go to OGA Pit, and you don't have the best run at OGA Pit. Um, you know, you you go through you go through Challenger League. And everybody has you as the favorite, and you end up finish third. And then, you know, you you go to the six invitational quals as the favorites, and yeah. then BDS beats you. And then a lot of people thought, okay, well, you're going to get the invite. I personally did not think that you deserved it, but a lot of people were saying that you did. You don't get that either. And then eventually you go into Challenger League, and it gets even worse. You finish in fifth, yeah. which means that you don't even keep your spot in Challenger League. You have to requalify. What do you suspect from the Raleigh Major, where you finish in the top four, to the start of this year? What do you think if you can do a post mortem from September of 2019 till about? april of this year what the hell went wrong i have dissected this a million times i have talked about this before um now i will preemptively say that i don't have any well i don't feel any kind of negative emotions towards lm lms but after rally uh, after we lost versus um empire we were really happy uh, we huddled up uh, after that loss we were like damn we did a damn good job of this event we uh made them we made empire struggle in some ways against us and it was seven four seven five seven three by the way for those three maps which is pretty fucking close yeah and afterwards it's all right guys let's go into the challenge league let's do our best and let's just take it from there now this time bds forms now, BDS, at this point, um, uh, they wanted LM. They really wanted LM. And they messaged LM, like, hey, LM, do you want to come join our Challenge League team? He's like, eh, no, I'm good. And unfortunately, they kept asking him every week. And we play the first game of Challenge League, and I think it's against Forza? Uh, it is against Diffuse Kids. Diffuse kids. Um, they ask him after that. Then we play Forza. Which you lost, by the way. You lost both of those. Yeah. This is yeah. are we talking? We're talking season eleven, right? Um, the the Challenge League season just after um, Rally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Then that was okay. Yeah. Let me pull up that one. Uh, I should. I should do this too. Yeah. You played. You played. Uh, why is it not showing? They didn't keep track of them for some reason. They only showed the recently. That's weird as hell. Um, I don't know why Liquipedia. Liquipedia only has. Oh no. Okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah you played fours. You played fours the first day. Yeah, yeah. And then the second day you played Orglas. Sorry, I was looking at season eleven. Yeah. Trying to find the. Yeah. You have so to click on we... the regular season tab for some reason. I don't know, but Liquipedia oh, doesn't have yeah. it. Also, big shout out to Liquipedia. They've added podcasts for the 
for Rainbow Six as well. So if you want to go on the Liquipedia website, if you are currently watching this or listening to this and you go to the Rainbow Six portal of Liquipedia, there is a way for you to now see some of the biggest Rainbow Six podcasts and you can watch them. And I think that's really, really cool. So thank you yeah. to Liquipedia and the editors for that. Sorry. So good. So we play versus Forza. Um, we technically lose because it's a loss and a draw. And then they ask uh, again, Alem, do you want to come join our team? He's like, no, no, I'm good. And then we have um, kind of a win versus Orgulus. Alem, do you want to come join our team? No, no, no. Then it's technically a loss versus BDS. It's like, Alem, do you want to come join our team? And literally after every single game, that's the way it went. Yeah. And then we go to uh, OGA. And this was kind of like a do or die for our team. Like, it's in a little event. It's our bread and butter. We should have this in the bag. A lot of prep is done. Then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, we're LG, and we're going to make a roster change. We're going to bring in Slash. And Slash absolutely de- demolished us. <laughs> he destroyed us. He changed the bank dramatically. And I was talking to Rexon the other day, and he said, yeah, like, when we brought Slash on, like, he yeah. just completely revamped our team. Changed the they, entire dynamic of it. Yeah, they sucked at bank before, but like yeah, Rogue was good at bank because of Slash. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like Slash understood bank. Yeah, yeah. That's Spencer Oliver, baby. And the the best part is, is that we spent a long time dry running, just to double double down that our bank is just superior than this. We did a lot of dry running and a lot of prepping. And on the first round, um, Alems does something that isn't part of the strategy, and he says he was just doing it to to take advantage of something he saw. And he ends up dying. He ends up having a, a kind of like a whatever game. And at the end of it, um, I can't confirm this because I'm just speculating at this point, but I believe that he accepted the offer to join BDS either before or after that game. I don't know. Um, but I do know is that he spent the rest of the event hanging out with the BDS boys. And then at that point in time, it was like, all right, guys, um, there was a bit of an argument uh, behind the scenes, and everyone agreed to, like, Alem, he needs to go. So we decided that we needed to remove Alem from the roster, uh, but in typical fashion, um, we were hit with, well, you've got, like, a week or two to find a new player before the league starts. So we're in all hands on deck. We need a new player. Um, Funkers literally just fires a message off to Eunice, hey, do you want to come play for us? And, like, Eunice, is, Eunice was in less than, less than an hour. Said, yeah, sure. Fuck it, let's go. And that's literally how Eunice joined the team. It was just a DM on Twitter that he said, yeah, sure. Dude, I fucking love Jonas. I love him to death. So much. You have no idea. Like, Yeah, I, I actually, I really wanted that to work. Yeah, same. I was like, come back to her. Let's go, baby. Like, I, there is, there are few individual people in this game that I have ever rooted for succeeding harder than him. Now, this is the, the beginning of the end when Eunice joined the team. Now, Eunice is a very good player, a very decorated player. Um, but when he came out of that retirement, there was this... So the first, like, the invite quals is like the kind of like the first thing we did with him. And we did a really good job of the invite quals. His knowledge and expertise really helped build the team and make the team better. Um, but after the invite quals, it became very apparent that Eunice came out of retirement just to kind of have some fun. Um, I don't think he was a very good fit for the team, looking back on it now. He did a lot of aggressive things that he was just on his own. He made his own decisions like that very often. Um, Then we had Feral that left the team due to personal reasons. Not going to get into that. Um, 
And again, we're back in the boat. Hey, you've got to find the new player in less than two weeks. Have fun. So it's like, well, crap. Um, who, we can, who, who, can, who can we get? Anyway, Blaz joins the team. And again, looking back, Blaz, very good player. Not a good player for our team. Not a player for the fit that we need. That hellish wild style um, that we played. Eunice was like way above it. Um, like way too aggressive. And Blaz was way too like passive for the team style. So you end up having this team where you have three players that are on the same page. You have one player that's just in hyperactive mode the entire time. And you have one player that wants to play really slow, passive, wait for the enemy to make mistakes. And it ends up in this mismatch team that just literally does not work well. If we had longer periods of time to actually search for the players that probably would have fit better, if we had an actual chance to trial players and not just pick people up because we have time constraints, then I think we would have found a better roster. We did the best that we could have with what we got, but it wasn't good enough. Um, I'm really... It's always, a, it's always bittersweet for me that the last season of Challenge League that I played was arguably my best performance as far as I feel for my development as a player that I've ever had in my entire time playing Siege. That was, that was the season where I was no longer the smoke thermite hard breach player. I could play Jaeger, I could play uh, aggressive ops, I could play entries, I could play the infamous aggressive Ash. Uh, that's a bit of an inside joke, but yeah. Um, and I was, I was really, really, really confident in my playing skills. I could really, I could felt confident doing runouts and jump outs and doing crazy things that I've never done before. It was the best I've ever felt playing this game. And I knew that the team was going to disband at the end of it. And I hated that. I really, really hoped that when that team disbanded, um, that a European team would have seen my performance and then picked me up off of it. But unfortunately, literally zero European teams at the professional level were interested in me. Um, it was really sad. I messaged pretty much all of them. Um, I got a reply from some of them saying, hey, we're not, we're not looking for new players. Chaos at the time, who were looking for players. Uh, told me they weren't interested in me. Uh, a couple of other teams basically ignored me. It is what it is. It was really bad. So coaching was more of a reluctant change then? Because I always thought um, you were somebody who, obviously skill in-game aside, the biggest point of praise that you always seemed to receive was your gigabrain. The way that you saw the battlefield, the way that you saw... You know, the things unfolding yeah. in front of you, I will never forget you've, you know, one of the boldest statements I've ever heard was, in my entire time as a professional, I have never lost a map ban phase. Still haven't. <laughs> I remember you, I remember you making that claim. I was like, that's bold. I was like, that's bold. So it was like... So, so for me, it was, I, I could always see you as being somebody who, and there's, there's probably about a dozen of them right now across all regions where it's like when they're done playing, whether it be because their skills aren't good enough, whether it be because they just don't want to play anymore, it would be a relatively effortless transition for them to slot in as a coach analyst or a talent on the desk. Yes. And I just, I wonder if that was, it. I mean, through all of the tribulations you went through, you literally went through ups and downs by the month. If it ever occurred to you, 
ah, fuck it, I don't want to play anymore. Maybe it's easier to be a coach. Ah, maybe I'll try my hand at casting. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go be an analyst, you know, and because there are people who can make the same amount of money as a coach and work significantly less and have a much easier job. I mean, we got lots of coaches who steal checks. I don't think you would be, but I think it would be, to a certain extent, the stresses and pressures on you would be different than those as a player in an IGL. Did you ever think to yourself at any point, like, ah, I have a way out and I can go to do something else if playing doesn't work out, if I don't want to play anymore? You see, um, this is a conversation I had with my dad several years ago. Um, I had already had like an inkling of how I wanted to progress my career in esports. And, and he only helped further reinforce it. Like he was very, 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 very straightforward. Like he said, look, uh, look, Matthew, um, you know, you're only going to be playing for so long. You need, you know, you need ways to keep this going. You need a way to keep in the scene or you need a backup that's outside of esports. And I was like, yep, I've got it all covered, dad. And originally I tried my hand at like trying to build a stream. Um, but then I realized very quickly that I absolutely hate playing Rainbow Six ranked with a burning passion. And to this day, as we have never heard somebody say that before. Yeah. Crazy, right? I refuse to touch it because it just infuriates me. Um, so I knew that I couldn't build it off of just playing Terrorist Hunt alone. So um, I decided that it was probably best in, in my best interest to either sharpen up on casting skills, um, analysis skills, or coaching skills. And which is why I started doing a lot of streams where I would analyze um, VOD reviews um, of like the finals of Invitationals, Pro League finals, things like that. Um, and I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and that, that actually helped me as a, an in-game leader. It helped me as a player quite a lot as well. But it gave me an out at the end of it. I knew, I knew that when that team disbanded, um, I hoped for a player position, but I knew that I could have. I knew that I could be an analyst or a coach, and um, I did have not necessarily an easy way into casting, but I think I could have had a way into casting as well if I wanted it to, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been any big, big time leagues or anything like that. I, I think your role and I mean, I don't know if you were to ever get into casting what you would want to do. I think you on a desk would be exceptional. You know, I, one of Emzo's strengths on the desk was the way that he did the telestrator. Yeah. A, you are equipped with a British accent, which is the S tier of accents <laughs> when it comes to casting. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good I could be the best caster in the world. You know what? I can never have an authentic British accent. So doesn't fucking matter. I'm never going to be at the top level because I don't sound like that. So you've already got that going for you. And I think that, you know, I think you're the type of person who with, with the way that a desk is structured, if you have somebody who's a clown and is outlandish, you always need a focal point to kind of bring the desk back on that can engage in humor and wit, but still just actually provide substance because substance on the desk is really not that much of a requirement, but boy, could you bring it? And I mean, I've watched... I've sneakily watched a lot of your VOD reviews where it's like, I've just, I haven't said anything. I've just kind of sat there and had it on another monitor or been doing something else. And it's like, fuck, it's good. It's very good. You know, you and Reaper are to me, two of the people who I could watch any content that either of you put out about the strategy and the depths of this game. So if, if coaching doesn't work out, I'm always recruiting, I'm always recruiting for talent, you know, but, uh, it's nice to have you around as a coach and I'm sure United is happy about that as well so do you think only question obviously with chaos getting relegated if you had been picked up by that team 
and that team got relegated with you on it. Do you think that would have been the most poetic ending to your playing career of all time? <laughs> oh yeah, that would have been that would have been one hell of a storyline, to say the least. Damn, I've never really thought of it like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be a situation that I would absolutely hate to be in. Yeah. But at the same time, I do feel like if they did just take interest in me, I knew that they removed um, secretly because they wanted to shake up the way that the team was being IGL'd. Uh, and I am an IGL myself, so I, I would have liked to have thought that I could have maybe saved them from relegation, but it's all hindsight stuff, and we'd never truly know what would have happened. And I, I tend not to try and dwell on those kinds of things. I mean, I just thought of from uh, my my focus always defaults to storylines. It always does. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my job is to sell what you're seeing. Exactly. You're you're already watching it on the screen. You know, the things I'm saying and the action I'm translating is is really secondary to the narrative that a match has. And you know, it's it's something that I've always kind of I've always kind of focused more on as a caster is selling the story and the importance and the weight of the matchup and contextualizing rounds and, and things like that and weird little tidbits like for those people that aren't familiar with playing ducks and the ch and the changes that were made and then IDK versus Snooken Nose splitting ways and blah 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 you know so I think that would have been a, a fascinating end I mean obviously for me it's very easy to see that because you obviously are like fuck that I don't want my playing career to end <laughs> but yeah. from a storyline it's like that's great so now, you, you spend some time kind of in the woods before getting picked up by E United. Was this a conversation where you were reached out to, or you reached out yes. to them? They reached out to me. Um, it was kind of worrying, in fact. Um, I had this strange little, um, where I'd messaged all the teams, and they'd all got back to me, more or less, and said, no, we're not, we're not interested in you, we're not looking at you. And at that point in time, I was just doing like random streams of like VR games, and occasionally doing T-Hunt streams, just to try and keep myself somewhat relevant in the scene. And then there was just this one weekend where I had this influx of interest from um, from like lower tier three teams, some lower challenge league teams, and then a bunch of NA teams like, hey, we need an analyst or hey, we need a coach. Are you interested? And I was really surprised that that, I, that all happened in one weekend after like two weeks of being um, teamless and after putting up my LFT post. I was getting really worried that all of my backups had failed. And it would probably, it, would, it, would, it was getting towards, right, time to look at real jobs now type situation. But I was just really fortunate that um, I had some good offers. Uh, at the end of the day, I took the one that I felt was the best or arguably the more successful choice. You started as an analyst. Yep. Uh, under Bagel. Yes. Now we have made many toaster references here on the on the podcast and the last show episode 15 with Milos was the only 6 on 6 where we did not roast United at least one time. And I feel like I feel like it's not going to happen here obviously cuz you're on the show and also United has made some significant improvements. Now Bagel got put in the toaster. I'm not going to ask you the circumstances under which he got kicked out, I've, I've heard the rumors, people have heard the rumors, I don't particularly want to trade in those, and I don't think it's something that needs to be discussed here. But Super had an amazing tweet saying that, what did he say he was like, is something like Meepy being the analyst behind Bagel is like Tom Brady sitting on the bench for like... <laughs> 
some shit quarterback. I read it. I read it. One, absolutely correct. Two, hilarious tweet, by the way. It was like it was like it was like Tom Brady sitting on the bench for Jameis Winston. I, I howled with laughter. I thought it was incredible. Your first foray into official coaching, etc., comes behind Bagel as an analyst. How did you find that transition? Were there any struggles? Did you find that there was a learning curve coming from being outside of the game and seeing it from a different viewpoint than an IGL? So the first thing, um, the most weird thing, is that they picked me up as the analyst to do the numbers and crunch the, the spreadsheets and all that stuff. Um, but more so, I was picked up for my skills and knowledge of the game, kind of like as a, a secondary coach behind Bagel, to give additional feedback, additional input, etc. Um, so primarily, like, I was collecting data and analyzing it, like, hey guys, we're looking at our opening kills and opening deaths today, here's a blah 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 discussion. But more so, I was unmuting and I was talking to the guys in the scrims, like, okay, here's, here's a mess up, here's a fuck up, here's what you did well, blah blah blah. That, that part was easy, because it's really easy to analyze someone's gameplay when you get to see it like, from essentially over their shoulder. Yeah. You see it from like, the, the, the third person's perspective. You see all their issues, you see all their faults, the successes, so on and so forth. That was easy. The hardest part about being an analyst was actually just building spreadsheets. That is the, the hardest part yeah. of being an analyst, is building a spreadsheet that can manage itself. Use Excel. And uh, I use Google Docs. Or Google Sheets, I should say. Oh God, I, I don't have Excel. I'm, I'm. You're better. Google, Google has replaced most of the Microsoft stuff. Unless you yeah. work in a in an office, there's no reason to have that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and um, I I remember like I knew that when um I became teamless, like if I want to pursue an analyst, I need to have some kind of um some kind of work to show. So I took the Challenge League season uh, that we just played in, uh, got all the stats for that in a spreadsheet. Uh, and built like a, a fully module spreadsheet that like has drop down boxes and you can look at all the different stats for all the different teams and crap like that. It took me a week to build that thing of nonstop typing away in formula boxes. That was the hardest thing about it all. Because after it was all done, after all the formulas were sorted out, after all the sheets were um, correctly inputted, you just have to press some buttons and it does the rest for you. Building that was a pain in the ass. And I have, a, I have nothing but absolute respect to analysts, and even more so to Drew, who's been doing this for three years. His spreadsheets, like, are better than mine, because obviously he's been doing it for a lot longer than me. And his work versus my work is night and day difference, so it's definitely, the, it's definitely better that I am a coach now than an analyst. That's Say Drew that. Spark, for the record, for those that don't know, yeah. was announced... Um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, as your new analyst. Yeah, yeah, about a month. Yeah, ago. about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta love the numbers if you want to be an analyst. I, I, I see the shit Luke does. And I'm I was like, gonna say Luke loves the numbers. Luke loves the numbers. I, I don't. I, w I wouldn't want to do that. I'd want to. I want to be a coach if I, if I had the choice. I mean, Obviously, I want to play, but yeah, yeah. I mean, in the past, before I was in, in Siege, um, in the previous jobs that I've worked, they all involved Excel. Um, so I, it's not like I'm bad at Excel. I, I'm actually, I'd consider myself to be pretty decent, just mm. a bit outdated. So building those spreadsheets, I knew what I was doing. It just took time. Yeah, it's just, and it's, 
yeah, it's just sleepless nights. Um, my girlfriend um, was getting really pissed off at me because I'd go to bed. Uh, this is before I was on an NA team. I'd go to bed at like 5 a.m. after working on a spreadsheet for six or seven hours. And then I'd lie there thinking about a problem. And then I'd lie there for an hour and I'd just get out of bed, walk to my computer, turn it back on, solve the problem, then go back to bed in the process of waking up my girlfriend. And she'd get pissed off at me. And I'd do that every night for a week. That, that is the, the hard life of building a working spreadsheet for the entire, for, for just analyzing, um, that's not even analyzing scrims, that's just analyzing a league. And you're analyzing your scrims, there's just so many variables that you have to put in. That's another spreadsheet nightmare to build, but I got that built. I, uh, I talk about this story, I've mentioned it a couple times on the show, um, but I bring it up again because there's there could be a lack of overlap with the people who watch these. But I uh, when Shas got kicked out of his room at SI because Fabian's girlfriend showed up, Shas came and, and stayed with me because I had for some reason they gave me a room with two queen beds and I mean the one queen bed was literally just sitting in my room. So Shas took the other bed and I mean it was I think it was right before their final match. So I saw all of his prep work the night before. He has like duotangs and binders for every team that's at the event. Every single team. Every team has a binder. He has like a like a big gym bag, like this big black gym bag with all the binders in it of all the teams with stats on them, strats on them, G2 strats, what the teams do, common patterns, drone spots, like they're the stats behind how often they run operators, how often they run operators on certain maps, the maps they ban, like the maps they ban against which types of teams. Like, and I was just looking at all this and I was like, I couldn't even begin to imagine how much time this took. And that was all just SI prep. That's not even just like usual shit. And I just looked at all this and I was like, dude, I could never do this job. And then Tom's like, oh, I like it. It's rewarding. And I'm just like, no, no way. Dude, no way. Yeah, I know, Leon. He barely sleeps. He he puts on a podcast at four in the morning and he would be up before I'd be up. And I just I don't get it. It was so blow. It was so it was so weird, man. It blew my mind. But I have respect for you and I have respect for Drew for doing that. Now now you're now you're coach. And was it frustrating not being the main coach watching E United play the way they were playing? <laughs> Um, it's interesting because for stage one versus stage two, it's it's two completely different teams. Mm-hmm. And the issue with stage one, E United, was um, what I would have considered like confusion in identity. Um, you have um, Bagel and myself who are coaching the team. We're doing the prep. I, I, I've posted about this before. We do the prep. We do all the VOD reviews. We get everything ready: the map bands, the map uh, operator bands, so on and so forth review the strats, practice new strats, all that stuff, get ready, um, give little sheets of paper to the guys, right? Here's what's going to happen. Game day, none of it gets done. So you have players that are like, well, we've done all the prep, we've done all the strats, why aren't we doing, why aren't we following the plan? And the issue was, is that just the way that the, um, now I think, I think call out, great guy, um, very dedicated, very focused, hard worker. Um, I just think the way that he wanted to lead the team versus the way that we wanted to coach the team butted heads, and he would more often choose his own way of doing things versus what we had prepped and planned. Do you mind expanding um, on that? Because Callout took a lot of shit. He took a lot of heat, and 
Nobody ever from United ever seemed to, all we'd hear was he's such a good IGL. Never, it was never seemingly expanded on and it was never described as to why his IGLing was so good. And I'd like your perspective if you're willing to share it. He was a very good IGL because he was very, very talkative and directive. He'd tell players where to go, what to do, and uh, when to do it. Uh, he was very good at putting people in positions and making plays happen. Um, but the problem is, is that that was all good and well for scrims, but then when we do all this prep and practice and stuff for actual game days, um, he wouldn't really go off of what the plan was because he didn't really feel like what we had prepped or planned was what he would wanted to try and execute. And I would argue that the way that he wanted to lead the team wasn't very good for the meta that we are in currently. I think he was trying to move it, trying to move the team around like it was like the old Obey roster before it became what it is now. And because what it is now is different to what it is then, the way that he wanted to do it just wasn't working. And we were constantly, I wouldn't say constantly, we were trying to just try and nudge him out of his mindset. Like, hey, this is, this is the way that we see the game. It would probably be in our best interest to move it this way. He is a good, I will, I'll, I'll, there's a couple of hills that I'll happily die on. One of them is that the callout knows how to IGL. I just think that his reasonings for his route the reasonings for the way he wants to do things isn't wasn't productive for the players that were on the roster. You look at Ape, Ape's doing they did pretty damn well. Um they knocked they out the a, last dance. Exactly. They are a good team. It is a shame that we're not gonna get to see them for a, a while. But th he is having much more success with a new essentially a new roster, a new lineup than he has than he had with our roster. I think it's more a mismatch of the way that the coaches wanted to lead the way that he wanted to lead, and the players that he had. All three kind of conflicted, uh, and it left uh, myself and Bagel frustrated. It left the players confused, and it left him looking bad, essentially. He made good performance. He, he had a good, decent performance. He was improving as far as his KD and stats go. He wasn't, like, the weak link of the team, per se. <laughs> we discussed the weak link of the team, and I think Troy and I both agreed that it was for the tail end before their departure it was probably forest um mm -hmm. i just thought it was the team as a whole like i thought it was like how they played the game as a team that's right. what i thought i mean i thought forest stuck out because he wasn't performing well individually and like he doesn't have like igl responsibility alongside of it but i think all in all the biggest issue was just how they played as a team what was it like Which, playing against obviously them? it sounds like playing against them yeah i mean it's just you gotta you gotta be ready for people to get in the building quick that was, <laughs> that was it and then and then you play the run from there uh, like i feel like that was like the main thing like be ready for like the surprise entry points and then like kind of play the run from there like you knew it was gonna get scrappy just because of how they were playing and then uh just kind of play on your feet i guess but yeah yeah uh, I think I think that's probably just the best way to put it. Like, you just it was predictable unpredictability in a sense. Like, you like knew you were you had to be ready for something, you know? Right. And and it wasn't something traditional, like ever. That that was the thing. Like I think, like Meepy said, like in that meta, the meta we're in, the meta we were previously in. I guess it's basically the same fucking thing, but um, it just it didn't fit in so well um just like trying to like get aggressive and play quick and stuff and then there's just like a guy sitting behind a shield like looking at you right can't do all that much uh so 
yeah, I think it was just yeah, like like maybe said different different ideas and that makes sense, I think. When you picked up Rexon and Kansan, you brought in somebody who had had good matches, but I think the the chief criticism against Rexon was that he was too reliant on a couple operators and if he didn't excel on those roles or they got target banned or he had an off day, he couldn't he couldn't make up for that now. He seems to have gotten quite a bit of new life on your team. You picked up Kansan. A pretty controversial figure mm-hmm. who earned some very nice compliments from the SSG boys uh, after their match. <laughs> um, did you have any hand in those two roster moves? Or because at the, roughly the same time as when you moved over to coach, were you a part of the discussion to bring on those players? So I was not a part of the discussion to bring on the trials for the trialing players. Um, Bagel did all of that. Bagel did all of the scouting for all the different players, and he was the one that invited all of them to trial. Um, But when it came down to deciding who the two spots would go to, yes, I actually did have a relatively big role in that. I think I was a deciding vote. Um, We pretty much unanimously agreed, right, Rexon, definitely the play we need. We need some aggro player with some fundamentals, a lot of experience. He fits the team perfectly well. Get him on. But for the role that we needed next, we needed someone who was not as fiery or aggressive. Um, someone that could be more tame. Um, someone that could be um, a flank watcher, a flex, um, second entry if we need it on some strats. We needed someone who's confident, but not cocky. Um, and in my mind, after watching um, countless scrims um, with all the different people that were trialing, Kansan always stood out to me as the, the, one, the one player that always fit the role that we needed on the round uh, for the strategy. Like, he'd take Nomad. Um, he'd just set up flank drones, set up his Nomads, um, without ever having to ask what to do. That was what stuck out to me. He had that air of independence, but knowledgeable. He knew exactly where his drones should be. If he didn't have the drones, he'd just call for a player. Hey, um, Yeti, I need a drone here. And yeah, he'll place his drone. He's like, okay, guys, I got the flank. Don't worry about the flank. And people would flank. He'd kill them. Um, or alternatively, on, on some strats, um, he'd be playing like Maestro or something like that. And he'd play like the turret Maestro. He'd sit behind a bomb. He'd sit, stay behind the bomb for the whole round. And then he'd just swing around without pressing any buttons and just shoot people. He stayed alive. He got the kills. I think it was even... I think it was um, on the SSG match. Um, kitchen, basement. He just sat behind the bomb. As Maestro just lean peaks, bops the guy all the way outside behind the car, tucks back in. It's that it's that kind of shit that he did consistently throughout all the trials that's made him stand out above absolutely everybody else. Um he is a young gunner who isn't the crazy Jaeger Ashmane stereotype. Moldable, um, calm, confident. And in my mind it was the perfect pickup. Without a doubt. What's he like to play against Troy? Wait, what? Said, what's well, he like, like to play against? Oh, Kansan. Kansan. I mean, I've only played against him one time. But right. I don't know. He impressed me. Uh, he can shoot, and I, I think the way Meepy described him, pretty accurate. I think I've I've noticed that just from like watching. Um, usually newer players to pro league, they do a lot of stuff, and you're like, the fuck is this guy doing? Stupid but like, shit. But like. But like, then you write it off. You're like, yeah, he's new, 
right? He, he's got to learn this. He's got to figure it out. And some figure it out, some don't figure it out. And that's how you figure out who's good and who's not. Um, but he like, he looks like he already kind of knows what he's doing, which impressed me. Um, and I think the way Meepy just described him, uh, I mean, that, that makes sense. Cause yeah, he just, he seems to have pretty sound deci- decision making. Like I don't see him taking like an absurd risk and I'm like, this guy's trolling, right? Like, uh, it doesn't seem to be happening. So, uh, yeah, he's impressed me. That was the thing that I, I noticed the most about Kansan was, I mean, naturally, I started to hear rumblings that he was going to get picked up about, I want to say, a couple weeks before it was announced, and, and I, I didn't really know much about him. And when I looked into it, all the info I got was basically just like, oh, he leaked VODs. Oh, he tried to sell VODs for, you know, tryouts on pro teams. And, you know, I... That's a that's a hell of an albatross to have around your neck, let's be honest. And, you know, people's careers don't survive that often. Uh, I think it, it speaks to his talent that he was able to overcome that. Either that or it speaks to United's desperation to pick up a player that can do that regardless of, of what comes with it. Um, but when I watched him play, the cafe match was the one that really jumped into my mind. Because it wasn't just his aim that I was impressed with. It was his patience and his game sense. You're right. You get a lot of young kids that come in here and they're swinging and they've got all this hubris and they think they're invincible. And, you know, they're they're used to just swinging corners with relatively low recoil guns and just doming kids in, in tier two, tier three leagues. You try to do that in pro league, you're going to get fried. And, it you know, it happens. And Kansan was very smart about how he was taking engagements. And he played off of E-United well. And obviously that tied into the fact that E-United had seemingly ditched their whole, hey, let's just have everybody kind of play, what was it called? Like Iron Man, where somebody like runs in and then you have like another person running right after and you just keep going. Like E-United was playing in the meta. They were playing really well. Um, And he impressed me. Really, he really, really did. You know, I interviewed him for retake and he, he was quiet. He was kind of shy but he seems to have an air of confidence about him. And I think with somebody like yourself, maybe with all the experience you have being in somewhat of a mentor role as coaches do tend to be, I think that's going to be extremely beneficial for, I think the whole team, frankly, but especially somebody like him. Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed any significant changes over the last couple of weeks with, with his style of play. I'm, I think more so in anything, like he's at the team house with the boys. Um, as you put it, he's, he's quite a shy guy, um, but he's really starting to come out of his shell and he's really starting to become friends with the guys. Like, it's not just more like a, a business, business decision now. Like they're really bonding. They're really getting along. Well, they're playing games outside of siege together. And that to me is always a really good sign that people are getting, like getting along. Well, it's that you play other games together. Um, and it's something that I was not necessarily pushing for, but more hinting towards, um, the guys at the gaming house to get along and start actually doing things together. Like, my biggest fear uh, with the Kansan, actually, was that he would crumble on match day. Um, the pressure would get to him, and he'd do poorly. And I think in the first... and I, I think he did exceptionally well in pretty much every match he's played. At no point have I ever watched his gameplay and thought, man, pressure got to him there. That's, I think he's extremely calm, extremely cool. And uh, I think I think he just gets the job done. He's a damn good player. I'm very happy we picked him up. 
I'm happy as well. I mean, I as much as I like to make fun of United, and damn, it really does leave a hole in this show, to be honest. But you know, I'm I'm glad that you are all. I'm glad that you were all doing well. I mean, that is a joke, by the way. United was actually in here earlier. It's uh, a probably still lurking. Yeah, and I, I've I haven't I don't think I've directly interacted with any of the people who work for the org, but I've interacted with them on Twitter, and it's always been it's always been a good time, but. I mean, the person who runs your social media usually isn't the same person who's who's managing teams and stuff like that. But Burns is still in here. Burns wanted a shout out, so you've got it. You've got it, Burns. You there said it, it. You said it in response to the announcement. You're like, I need at least a couple shout outs. So there you go. Um, you got the shout out. Congrats. Uh, how have you liked coaching? I mean, I guess that's the big question. Yeah. Have you been enjoying it? Uh, with the exception, obviously, being the spreadsheets, which were annoying at the start and having to do the nitty gritty work. Do you like it more than you thought you would? Yes. Um, coaching is, is, is really interesting, actually. Um, because you, I think Rex, Rexon put it pretty well. He, Rex, in Rexon's mind, he doesn't think that if, as long as, Rexon believes that if only, the only people that can coach are people that have had a lifelong experience or have played, um, the game in question for a long experience, long period of time, and are usually older than most of the team. And I, I think he hit the nail on the head with that one because I don't think I could be a good coach if I haven't, if I hadn't have gone through everything that I went through with um, IDK, with Snook and Nose, with um, playing Ducks. I don't think I would be a good coach if I hadn't experienced something in my life. And now that I'm here, now that I'm like basically. Um, like a figurehead for these guys, it's it's interesting. It really is because they, it, they really do respect and listen to what you say, and when you talk to them about an issue, uh, it could be gameplay, it could be social, it could be interaction based, and they really listen and they really like come out the other end with like, yeah, yeah, this all makes sense now. Everything's all good. We're gonna improve on this, and then you actually see the improvements on it the next day, in the next scrim or wherever it is. It's extremely rewarding. When you tell a player, like, hey, you play this position a little bit too aggressive. Remember, your role here is just to survive and be an annoyance, put pressure, don't die. And then the next game, next day, they do it. Damn, that's, that's a good feeling. You watch the perspective, you see them not peek, you see them stay alive. They kill the time on the round and you win by just like a timeout. Damn, that's, so, that's a fucking good feeling. I like seeing progress and being a coach. You, see, you don't get to see it just in yourself. You see it in five people. And... I love that. I really do. Hear that, Troy? Yeah, I heard that. You might actually, you might actually enjoy the transition when you retire. I, I know I love coaching. I mean, like I, yeah, I know I'd love coaching. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. If I, if, if that's to happen. Um. So obviously, the team has made some changes. Um, and and. Are you happy with where United is heading? Last night's results notwithstanding. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that we... I know we only like changed our positioning um, from stage one to stage two by one place. Um, but I'm happy that we didn't get relegated, or at least in the relegation spots. That's an improvement. And I've, I've kind of stated publicly, but not like super publicly, that my overall goal is to get these guys into the top four in about a year's. So probably by like this time next year, I'd want us to be in the top four. I think it's reasonable. I think it's um, 
definitely something that can happen. It's a possibility. But it's going to be a lot of work. We came extremely close to getting top four by like one round versus DZ. Um, yeah. But I think, I think overall, um, I'm pretty happy with the way that we performed. I think our style has improved dramatically. It's not that random wishy-washy run into the building as fast as we can crap that we had last season. Uh, or last stage, I should say. I think we're really starting to get our own identity. Uh, we're playing the meta now, obviously, but we're playing it in our own little little fashion, the way that every team has their own little identity around the meta. And I think if we have uh, another month or two um, to practice, to prep, I think I can really see us ironing out the mistakes of us being enabled to close out matches and things like that. I think that's just a, an issue with lack of practice as a team. So definitely i think like um there's a bit of a hiatus for us now i think it's like two months i'm not sure when the next thing is for i think us. it's Probably. january yeah two to three months is a it's long like si quals. It's a long annoying off season it'll be the quals yeah it's kind of um, crazy but it's, yeah it's unfortunate this is actually a, the perfect time to pivot into what my next topic was and i'm so glad you mentioned it because I ask something quick sorry um i wanted to ask something quick actually going back to our previous question about coaching but what what were you expecting, I guess, like coming to coaching? Because obviously, like, it sounds like you were a bit surprised by, like, how much you enjoy it. I'm just curious to, like, yeah, to hear how you how you kind of expected it to go and how you thought it might have felt. <clears throat> I didn't really know what to expect, to be honest with you. Um, I've never really been in a coaching position myself. Um, in the past, like, I've had Farrell as a coach. I've had Helby as a coach. And... They all, they, everyone has like their own little way of doing it. So going into it, I knew that I would have to try and form my own style of coaching. But I didn't know how I wanted to do it. So I just kind of let it flow naturally. And I'm pretty happy with the way that I do it now, uh, the way that I coach the boys. Um, I'm, I'm pretty proactive in talking to them, making sure like I, I, I talk in scrims. Um, I know like some teams, some coaches, like some teams don't want their coaches to talk during scrims. Some teams want their coaches to talk a lot during scrims. To me, it's about finding the right balance. But uh, honestly, I didn't know what I expected coming into it. Um, I think f I think one thing that did help is that the, um, when I was first brought onto the team, they were very excited to have me. And I think the biggest thing that I needed was their respect. Because um, if they don't respect me, then what I say will just go over the heads or in one ear and out the other. And I very fortunately had that at the beginning um, when I was the analyst and just giving off comments every now and then for a being like a, a secondary coach. So I think the transition from like secondary coach slash analyst into main coach was a welcome one. I think the guys were really, really happy with that one. Uh, I, I, they, they make my job a lot easier than it, than it, than it could be. Um, the guys are really, really helpful. They're very good at analyzing their own mistakes. And uh, me being there just to help them and guide them and say, yes, that is right. Here's some more information. Or no, you're kind of wrong. Here's what it actually is, in my opinion. I think the way that we run the team um, is really, really beneficial for people's mental health, uh, for people's improvements. But to answer your question, I had no clue what it was going to be like. But I found my footing. I found a steady pace. I said it before. I say it again. Siege is not a sprint. It's a, a long-winded marathon. Oh, yes. It certainly is. All right. Thank you. Parker, you're good now. So this is so this is a pivot now. Um, and by all means, by the way, Troy, feel free to jump in whenever you want, dude. Um, yeah. 
you're talking about the long break. We have existed over the last couple of years where the break ended at the start of 2018. We used to have this break. 2016 and 2017, there was a break for December and January, if people remember. The last Pro League was, the, the Pro League finals would be in mid-November, give or take. And then there'd be a break until SI. With the quals, I think, mid-January for both years. And that was it. And we used to have a two-month off-season. And then we moved to that rolling six-month calendar where there was really no downtime. You'd get a month off after an event and that's it. And you'd have that, you know, four times a year. But teams would still be scrimming during that time. There'd still be new content coming out. The TS would be in action because the new content would be being released to it. Yada, yada, yada. Everybody's been kind of crowing for an off-season again to be able to catch their breath and have some downtime, whether it be for making side content, whether it be for just a vacation, whether it be to catch up on the meta, you know, make roster moves, so on and so forth. But now it seems like we've swung in the opposite direction where people are pissed off that for certain teams, there's like two to three months where there's nothing to do. Now, the one thing that we don't know is that there's supposed to be regional lands at the end of the year. So presumably the U.S. League Finals or the NA League Finals would have been in December, right? Just as EU would have had theirs, just as APAC would have had theirs. We don't know if those are happening. I would imagine from the team saying that now that we're off for three months, those are probably not going to happen. I haven't heard anything about it. Your director of marketing and strategy, Brute, had a very interesting thread yesterday saying, and I quote, let me find the actual thread itself. Sure. So he said, really love Rainbow Six. Our first year has been a roller coaster, a lot of good, but a lot of bad too. It is a really, it's really rough to build your brand in a game where a season slash stage starts on September 15th and nearly a month to the day the season is over. One team relegated, and we sit on the sidelines for three months before a last chance qualifier. And then if we don't make that, then until March without playing any meaningful matches. How is this a sustainable system for brands to drive equity into the product when you only have 29 to 30 days? We literally just moved a key member to Vegas to create content exclusively for Siege. Is it our fault we placed seventh and now sit out of the fun? Sure. But there needs to be something else or a better way than playing four to six matches over a one-month period and be happy with it. We just want to make cool shit. This community deserves it. What some of the other organizations have put forward in this scene is sad, and we want to change the paradigm. Let's make this the esport we all know it can be. Now, there are parts of this I agree with. There are parts of this that I'm not necessarily so enthusiastic about. Uh, The last tweet. We just want to make cool shit. The community deserves it. Some orgs don't really do all that much. Let's make the esport we all know it can be. Pretty hard to disagree with that. There are a lot of orgs that do absolutely nothing. In NA and otherwise. Do you as a coach see this break as being troubling? Do you see it as a boon for your team? Do you see it as being too long? And regardless, if it is an imperfect system, what would you like to see in its place? I think long breaks are double-edged swords. People get the time off that they need. Um, everyone needs like some time off eventually. I, I don't know what uh, SSG schedule is, but we we run a six-day week. We have one day off every week. Um, so over the course, like if we were to play fifty-two weeks of the year, um, we'd have fifty-two days off. Um, so at the end at the end of the day, it, it does like rack up 
um, to a fair few days off, but you need that little bit of time to recharge. You need like a couple of weeks. Um, you need a couple of weeks off, but if you take a couple of weeks off, you come back playing like crap because you've taken a couple of weeks off. Hence why it's a, a double-edged sword. Um, I think what I think the vast majority of teams would like is a better paced out schedule so that matches aren't crammed into the week and that goes on for a longer period of time. That way there's more time. There's, there's, left, there's less weeks where you play on Monday, lose, and then play on Wednesday. That crap has got to go. That is not fair for the teams like when it comes to prep and practice and things like that. That has yeah. to go. Like The schedule needs to be stretched thinner, but with some content put into it. So I don't care if like the formula of the way that the, the, the season has changed a little bit so that you have more teams playing. There's more play days on a week, just like you know, when every team plays at least once every week. I don't care how it gets changed. It just needs to be spread thinner. S- sorry. Sorry. Spread longer, but with more fair matches put in there. So every team plays at least once a week. You can schedule it in Mondays as NA, Tuesdays as EU. I don't care. I don't know the nitty gritty of scheduling. That's not my job. Um, but it's just, all I know right now, what we have isn't the best. And now I know we're in a bit of like a transition year and like the real meat of Siege is supposed to come next year. And I hope that is true. Um, but I think the way that we've got this two stages splitting it everything up, um, I think there's a lot of room to improve on that. And I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, we don't make top four or top five, whatever it is for the for the uh, the NA major that's coming up in a few months time, whenever that is. But God, yeah, yes, we could have done better. Like this, it's so like back and forth. Like, hey, you could have done this, but yes, this is the problem, and that's the issue when it comes to discussing this kind of thing. Yes, we could have played better to play in the major, but now we're sat on our asses with nothing to do for basically three months. And if we cop out after three months, we're sat on our asses again for another couple of months. So there could be a period of within five months we have, I don't know, maybe two official matches. If we have like a blowout at like the major quals or something like that, or then the major quals, the MV quals. I don't know. It kind of feels like this league should be finishing in about a month's time instead of halfway through November, maybe the beginning of December. Get an extra few weeks in there. I don't really know how the schedule can be changed because I'm not good at that kind of stuff, but I just know that what we have now could be improved on. Yeah. I will say such a big break seems. Like, like he said in the tweet, yeah, the the break seems a bit too much. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to make the schedule work. I'm not sure what's ideal, but it's a long stretch for, yeah, like you, you guys play seventh and now you just don't play again for, yeah, like three months. Uh, it's, it's a bit much. And then, like you said, if you don't qualify for Invitational, then again, such a long stretch. I mean, I can understand... The invitational one, yeah, but that's that's fair. But yeah, otherwise it, it it's a bit much, and I think it's because yeah, there's such a big gap between like the the major or the the season and then the NA major. It's also a bit weird because it would be a bit different if the major was an actual major and not the regional ones. And that's I also I think it's split up longer because we're doing it's like each major has its own week so it's like that whole month is blocked off now yeah rather than it just being one weekend or one week or whatever it is is blocked off um now it's just a whole month is blocked off for four different majors um well, it's, so it's longer it's, than that because if you think about it a major is a full week's worth of matches right you usually yeah. got a day or two 
of setup for the players and casters, the teams, like the tourney organizers are usually there beforehand. Like I know that if an event, if we flew out for an event on say a, a Wednesday afternoon to do rehearsals on Thursday, to start the major on, on Friday or Saturday, and then have Monday, Tuesday off and then go through the rest of the week or something like that. ESL would usually be there about four to five days before us. So you've got the TO there before that, and then they've got to do tear down and leave. You're looking at about two to two and a half weeks that needs to be blocked off for each major. Just to start with. Right. And then travel and scrimming and teams are going to want time off before this, before the major and then after. Yeah. This is true. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what the ideal, uh, what the ideal situation is. It's. I think it's just hard to find a sweet spot because, yeah, you need you need time off because otherwise you get burnt out. Um, but you also don't want too much time off because then it feels like you got nothing to work towards or look forward yeah. to because it's just too long. It's a really yeah. delicate balance. Yeah, and like I definitely see it from like an organization's perspective, right? You want less time off because, like, yeah, they need. They need the season to be going on to to push content. Um, so yeah, I understand that. I mean, if you look at traditional sports, when there's an off season, they don't practice every day. Yeah, you know, and there's there's, I mean, I look at look at hockey, look at football. In the off season, players will just like not even touch a football, or they won't even touch a hockey stick for a month and a half. And it's like they take the time, they take the break, they take it off. The thing is, is that in esports, they don't do that. The teams are always going to be practicing. They're always going to be scrimming. So even if you do get two months off, it's not really a vacation. I mean, even look at you, Troy. Like there have been times where it's like around the six invitational, like you'll have time off and I'll say like, oh, cool. Like, let's go. Let's go to Alberta, like in the middle of the winter around New Year's. Like, and you're like, oh, I can't. I got to scrim. And I'm like, dude, you can't even take four days off from December 29th to January 2nd. And you're like, nope, we got to practice. So it's like, if you can't take those days off, when on earth can you take days off, right? So, yeah. and it's it, it's something that all the teams have kind of said, like just because we're not off or just because we're off doesn't mean we're not actually taking that time off. And I do agree with it. You know, you have, you have people like Pengu tweeting, like we need a break. We need to cool off. We're getting burnt out. We're playing this game too much. So then Ubisoft says, okay, we'll have an off season. You've got two to three months off. And now players are saying, that's too long. Teams are saying, we need to, we need to make content. We need relevancy. We need eyeballs. Like, you know, and, and it's just like, I don't know what, I don't know what winning is, you know, um, for me, what Young said, sorry, is, uh, what Young just said in the chat actually is a really good point is like, yeah, because new updates come out, that's like the biggest reason why you can't take as much time off. Usually how it goes is like the major ends and then you take off until the patch comes out. And then when the patch comes out, then you start again because you can't afford to extend your break into the new update. Some teams can like you, you can do it a little bit, but you, you fall behind if you take time off into the new update. You do. So it's, yeah. That's that's a, a big downside to it, and that, that's what makes it so difficult. I yeah, do agree. Right. I do agree that um, the best time to do a time off would be would be SI. I mean, I hate that six invitationals in February too, man. Like, I hate it. Like, it, 
for me in a perfect world, you move SI to the summer, you have it in Montreal in August, you take off or you have it in July or even June, June, July or August, you have it smack in the middle of the summer when everybody's off, have it in, have it the middle of July in Montreal, you take the rest of July off, you take some of August off, the season comes back early to mid January or early to mid September and it runs straight through. Like, that would be it for me. Like, you take two months off after SI. Like, once SI hits, world champions, cool, here's your one month to, or here's your one and a half month to two month break. That's it. That's how I would do it. The problem is, is that they've aligned Six Invitational uh, with when the season launches, which with their calendar of content is the start of the year. And I mean, mid-July would be middle of a year, and that makes no sense for them to switch it up so i mean yeah but it, that also makes sense for them like for from the game standpoint like six invitational is like one of the biggest like marketing tools for the game like it builds like the most hype for the game right after six invitational everyone wants to play the game the new update all that right yeah it because it marks a new year of siege um yep. so a break after that i mean i guess a break for pro play is okay but then yeah, people start to lose interest after that break, and then they're not tuning into Pro League when it starts back up. Yeah, there's no winning at all. Yeah, no, no, there's not. There, there's always going to be players that are going to want to play, and there's going to be players that are going to want time off. And I will tell you that I think that it is for the best interest of everybody if you get time off. But I'm also not the one competing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, in the past, usually, like I think Leon put it in the chat earlier, like the teams that get the most time off are either the teams that don't go to the LAN or teams that get first rounded at LAN. Yeah. Because you finish a LAN event, you come home, ah, what's that? Tomorrow, new patch? No break. Yeah. have to play. And the one season where we haven't actually gotten like a new operator drop, a new map drop with loads of cool new features was Project Health. And that, that season, in my opinion, saved Siege. But that season also received like the biggest backlash from like the more casual, non-competitive community for just not giving any kind of content to the game. Numbers dropped pretty low, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Those, I stopped playing season. it during health as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, that season was direly needed to fix all of the ridiculous bugs that were in the game. And it, uh, it received the most backlash. People really want new maps. People really want new operators. And um, when that patch drops, we have to play. We have to keep practicing or else we fall behind. Um, if you're not the team that learns the new things first, then you're at a massive disadvantage. You either learn it through experience, learn it through scrims, or you get absolutely yeah. destroyed on match day by it. Because yep. then you're learning another team's game, like yeah. Because that's that's how it goes. Is if yeah, if you're not if you're not pushing the meta yourself, like you're learning from someone else, they're already ahead of you. You're playing their game at that point. Yeah. It's just for me that the thing that sucks about Invitational is you're trying to convince people to go to Montreal in, in the winter. Like, I hate to say this, but like having an esports event in Canada is already enough of a logistical challenge, especially for Americans. I mean, you look at what the the stats behind how many Americans don't have a passport is really staggering. And I mean, if you have it in America, you've got 330 million people that can attend without needing a passport. You have it in Canada, you significantly reduce the amount of people that can actually fly because you need a passport to get into Canada, even if you're driving now. So it's like not only that, but you know, half of America doesn't even come close to getting the temperatures that Montreal gets. There are days during the Six Invitational where it's like minus 29 out. It's like there are people that are coming to this event that are not prepared for it. Everybody owns shorts. 
even pants and a t-shirt is fine in the summer, no matter how hot it gets, depending on where you are. Not everybody's got a coat. Not everybody can bundle up. I just, and, and somebody told me, somebody from one of the esports orgs at the Invitational this year, this year, I was standing down waiting for the, the first day of the show and looking at the crowd. And I was standing with somebody who works for one of the orgs. And I was like, wow, this is really incredible. And they're like, you know what? They're like, you guys have one of the coolest communities and one of the best esports scenes. But SI will never be a tier one event to the level that they want it to be until you move it out of Montreal in the winter. And I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that logic. So it's a. Yeah, it holds a special place in my heart, though, man. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I, as a the Canadian. Montreal winter, I love it. I do as well. I do as well. But we are not the target audience, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, no, I know. It doesn't. It, yeah. We are Canadian. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Like, we are Canadians who grew up in the cold, in the winter. We both love ice sports and winter sports. I lived in a, I lived on top of a mountain, for crying out loud, where it snows every month of the year. Like, for you and I, like, this is perfect. We're happy as a clam. But it's like you're trying to tell Europeans where a huge portion of the continent doesn't really get much snow. And America, to try and come up to this event, let alone people flying in from Brazil or people flying in from Australia or et cetera. And it's just like, yeah, no. They're, they, I've heard so many people be like, I'm in a, now that they've announced all the different majors, they're like, I'm just going to wait till whatever the U.S. major is and go to that. Yeah. And it sucks. It really does suck. But like, so I, I get I get that like the um, before COVID, like the major was supposed to be the one that travels around the world and all that that kind of stuff. But it really does ring true like what that that organization rep said to you. Like SI it is true. Like it, geographically where you place your event will always doom or or fill your stadium. Mm-hmm. Like like um even the esports arena in, in Las Vegas. Like it's it's not the biggest room, but that's that's how it's packed. There's loads of people there. I've never actually seen it. It doesn't look very big. It's not very big, but it has a bar. It has like little side rooms. It has its own little stage and steps yeah. and seating off to the side. That that place was full. There's loads of people there. Um, uh, rally, loads of people, absolutely jam packed. But invitational, like I don't I don't know what the numbers are exactly for it, but they're good. There were more. I, I think rally was bigger than SI. Yeah, I think SI is about two to three. Uh, Raleigh, I heard, was about three point five, and then I heard Rio. Rio was about eight to ten, depending on the day and depending on how many people were there at once. Yeah, but I mean that's I mean, Brazil in Rio, so. I mean Paris had a a really big stage too, and that was yeah. earlier in the game's lifespan. Paris was about three, from what I heard. Um, we, I think, we're a good enough esport. I don't know now, now that viewership is falling. I do suspect that a large part of why viewership is falling is just because there's so fucking much Rainbow Six. Yeah. Like, I don't watch Rainbow Six live anywhere near as much as I used to anymore. I go back and rewatch VODs and I go back and rewatch matches. You know, like, I just don't have the time. There's too much. I hate to say it. Like, there's there's so much. It's always on. And it's kind of just like, it's you just get fatigued. Um, I was going to say something and I forgot. Anyway, um, I was gonna. I would love. I would love to have a, an event in London, like proper London. I know it's very expensive, but that'd be cool. Your country has pretty good crowds. 
I'd, I'd like a London event, pretty easy to get to. So like a three, four hour train, not too bad. It's only a, it's only a, it's only like a five hour flight from Toronto as well. It's not that bad. Uh, no, it's not. It's not bad at all. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we turn we turn to questions? Because I am conscious of time. Yeah. We are at the three hour mark right now. It is ten ten for you. It is five ten here. I figured if you don't have anything, any burning topics that you'd like to discuss or Troy would like to discuss, then we can turn to the questions and ask about five, six, seven, eight questions or so. There's one I wanted to ask. Actually. Go on, you go first. You go first, Troy. All I'll, right. I'll go after we'll wrap you up. But yeah, there was just one more I wanted to ask, and it was uh I, I said this to you before, but basically you're you and like Alfama, I guess, are the best people to ask this because we people always discuss it and ask people at streams like, what do you think the difference is between NA and EU? But like you've actually kind of lived it more, like you understand yeah. it more. So I, I kind of just want to get your take on that, like how you think things are different just between how teams play, how they practice, how they operate, that kind of stuff. It's interesting. Um, I think European teams um, are much more open to like a, a more packed schedule during the day. I know that when I was back on on Secret, double scrimming was almost, it was a thing. If you could double scrim every day, we would double scrim every single day. 100%. In NA, teams are a lot more laxed on their um, schedules. Um, Double scrimming, meaning you'd scrim once in the morning and then once in the evening? Usually in the afternoon and late evening. Yeah. yeah. Game is getting out of it. Well, I was going to say morning is basically afternoon in gamer lingo. So <laughs> 3, 3 p.m.? Oh, that's the morning. Yeah. Maybe not for the last six months. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Leon. Things went a bit downhill, but we don't talk about that. Um, <laughs> but like, I know that like in NA, the way that I run the schedule now... Um, I, I always try and I, I get a scrim every single day. I get VOD reviews every single day. I get um, prep sessions every single day. And now that now that we're in the off season, we're doing five day weeks instead of six. But I'm going to try and get double scrims for some of those days, just so we're keeping up and practice and schedule and stuff like that. But I definitely in EU, they are omega grinders. So there's no no wonder players are saying that they're coming close to burnout. Double scrimming every day, VOD reviews, dry runs, official matches, things like that. It's uh, it can be pretty crazy. There's a lot of teams in Europe that want to get practice in, so it's never hard to find practice in Europe. Um, it's a little bit harder in NA because of the quality of some of the teams. It kind of drops off after Challenge League. Um, but other than that, I'd, so far we haven't had any trouble EU finding scrims uh, from a tier one perspective all the way down to like a tier three perspective. We always have a pretty full schedule, and I'm pretty happy with that. But as far as like gameplay wise, it's interesting. The, the the night and day thing that really shocked me when I moved um when I moved on to this position is that in Europe, when a player says, "I right, guys, I'm gonna spawn peek," or "I right, guys, I'm gonna jump out a window," the team's like, "Yeah, let's do it, go for it," and he does it, he gets a kill, whatever. The the round moves on. But here in in, in NA, like some someone spawn peeks, like he gets his kill. The the the, the kill People player type. Typing. The kill player like opens up his chest. Like, what the fuck is that shit? And like someone does a run out or a jump out. You do it too much. The other team will literally leave the scrim. That that one's split. But yes, there's yeah. There's like, a our, lot. I know. Like our team doesn't really like. Yeah. We just kind of play whatever because we'll do yeah. shit like that too. But yeah, there's definitely teams that like you spawn peek and they're like, oh, that's how it is. Yeah. Okay. You just you just activated my trap card. Wait just wait until we're on defense, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's um it's very much like that. That's not like not every team is like that, but it's um 
it's actually shocking to see the number of teams or the caliber or level of teams um, that will do that kind of thing, um, even at yeah. a professional level. I will leave it at that. Yeah. Um, one overall, time I've gotten, go on. sorry, one time I've gotten in chat in a scrim, someone said, scrim integrity lost. <laughs> we, we always joke about that one. After we spawn peek somewhere or something like that, we just go scrim integrity lost. That's it, man. Like, But yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, it's definitely different. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, um, it's interesting to see, like, uh, in NA we have, like, obviously, like the the twenty second meta. There's a lot of utility focus on burning Wamai discs and ADSs and blowing up shields and Malusi banshees and then the evil eyes. And thankfully, we don't have Echo. Please, I hope Echo never comes back personally. But I mean, he's gonna. Um, yeah, he's gonna. But I, I really, I really wish he was not. I don't think invisible objects have any 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 place in this game but that's my own opinion um but like europe is a little bit quicker a little bit faster paced people are much more happy to make plays um people are much more happy to make jump out spawn peaks do crazy things um i've always i've always thought this was like a weird um dynamic thing i've always thought that this game would be a lot more fast paced and a lot more aggressive if matches had more rounds on a shorter timer kind of like how csgo does because like if you think about it, you have a limited number of rounds and you really do have to play them efficiently. There isn't room to make any crazy plays. Even rushing is a big risk these days. Um, on CSGO, you've got like 16, like minimum 16 rounds that can go all the way up to like 30-odd. And there's a lot more room to play with, a lot more room to work with on those types of matches. But I think the way that Siege is right now, it, it kind of leans towards like a slower play style because rounds are longer. Uh, rounds are more impactful. One round loss is uh, could translate into a map loss much easier than it could be on and CS:GO or any other uh, different ma- um, different games. Yeah, it would definitely force you to take more risks on attack. But I feel like a lot of instances it just wouldn't work out. Like I feel like it would just be even more defender sided. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what I people have said. Sieges. It's just the way that Siege is right now with all the shields and all the utility. Yeah. It's, it's the direction that the game has moved. I've had this opinion now for several years before yeah, okay. uh, we're in this I was going to say, in different metas, I think that'd be cool, though, because it would, it, would it would force teams to like, yeah, take more risks on attack, but yeah, you wouldn't be as, you wouldn't be as punished for it. You would just yeah. you'd have to take more risks. Um, right now, if they lowered that timer, good fucking no, luck. It, yeah, good luck. No. That's one thing it's I did a, like about the Lion meta, though, was how quick the rounds were. Like, it, the, the pacing was all off. It does get kind of boring if you think about it, where it's like every single round, the average viewer can take two and a half minutes to go do whatever they want, come back for the final 30 seconds, and more often than not, they're not really missing much. At least for what they want to watch, they're not missing much. You know, the one thing that I did like about the Lion meta, probably the only thing i liked about it was that every round was totally different some rounds would be over in 30 seconds some rounds would be over in a minute and a half some teams would you know wait until the bitter end and then all execute there was always unpredictability and uh, i thought it made for a diverse style of play that was hell to cast often because we had no idea how to pace ourselves but we would have gotten used to it over time but at least it, it shook things up enough where you you know, some rounds are just like, it feels like as a caster, some rounds, it's just like, I'm saying the same shit four times in a row. And I can imagine for the viewers to a certain extent, that's kind of boring. That's what players are doing too. Yeah. They're yeah. doing the same shit. 
Yep. They're clearing the shields. They're clearing the the Malusis. They're clearing the bubbles. I I strongly believe that changing the deployable shield to have the slats behind it was the beginning of the end for this utility meta starting. Like, I remember testing them. Deployable shields did yeah. not need to be changed. They did not. I don't know why they changed them. They were fine. Make them so they snap. Don't put windows on them. Leave them. In fact. I think the testing session it was it was Paris and you were there. It weren't was you? Paris? I was there. Yeah, yep. yeah, I remember. We tested like Nomad and um, for, what? Um, Nomad, Nomad was the main focus. Oh of God! Was broken at the time, though. <laughs> I will say, like, we couldn't, re we weren't really focused on anything else because that's when. Well, Nomad she came out that way where it was they blew up like Sophia mines and just you just shoot it into a room and everyone was on their ass. Yeah, that was yeah. You could you would, you would entry frag with Nomad and someone else, and you just mm -hmm. spam Nomads into the site, whilst Ash just picked people off as they were getting off other asses. Yep. But yeah, shields were in there. Um, yeah, that shields shields were in there, and they acted exactly like mirror windows. You couldn't actually see any kind of silhouette behind the shield either. Um, so they were even stronger then, but yeah, definitely like it was overshadowed by like the sheer overpoweredness of Nomad. Do you think yeah. do you think that if you got rid of de deployable shields as a secondary, kept them as they are right now and gave an operator three of them, that that's enough for an operator's gadget? Wait, two of them. Three is way too much. You think you uh, think yeah. I said do you think it's enough that if you if you took the shields away as a secondary gadget and then you introduced an operator with that as their gadget, that that's enough. So go yo. <laughs> No, I mean, Goyo, yeah, but the thing with Goyo is that there's a, obviously there's a risk to it because it blows up, you'll take damage, but also that it does, the, the gas canister does block some, yeah, yeah. some of In the shield. The current meta, that operator would have on near 100% pick rate or ban rate, so, just because it's just a shit ton of utility to throw at. Like, and you give these up, like, and this is the thing that I was, the point I'm trying to make is it's just like, yeah, I think that would be a strong operator as is. And it's like, holy fuck, you give these things to operators as secondary gadgets. And it's like, you could give that to an operator as their whole gadget, and they'd still be strong. Yeah, I'm kind of with this. You just get rid of the shields. Then you only have the Goyo shields. And then you still have all the Malusis and, and the Evil Eyes. They won't ever do that, though. Like, imagine. I, I, think, I think deployable shields need a fix, and I think that it need, there needs to be like some kind of... Somebody once said, and they made a very good point, somebody said... A good way to change it is make it so that the only slats are at the bottom when you're crouched behind it. Make it so that if you are you're prone behind it, if you're crouched behind it, the top half of the shield doesn't have any slats. All the mm. visibility is down below. You see, the the easy fix of shields is just who who has a shield. Well, my has a shield. That, Smoke has yes, a shield. That is a big one. Put them put them on operators that like even Valkyrie like has a shield, and I would argue probably take away from Valkyrie because some teams take yes. Valkyrie for shield. Give yes. them to weird operators that aren't really in the meta right now. Like, um, I think Warden has a shield. That's good and fine. Give it, I think Alibi has a shield. That's good and fine. Um, yeah. But start giving it to, like, the random operators that don't have any hard, like, that they don't have explosive, like, you need to blow this shit up. And also, by the way, they have a shield. Take yeah. the shield away from those types of operators and give them to, like, Ella. Give it to Legion. Give it to operators that don't have explosive um required utility gadgets or some kind of interaction or our big common meta picks yeah that's the thing is that yeah like the big three are are smoke wamai and uh and valkyrie and it's because they synergize so well 
with the ops you need to like with that lineup. Like, well, my it helps protect all your shields, right? So you're gonna bring him anyways, and you just so happen to get an extra shield while you bring him. Yeah. And then smoke, you're already burning all this time and utility, so smoke is great, and smoke's great anyways, just because he like he has the shotgun to set up. He delays late round, and then yeah, it even adds in with the current meta. Um, and then Valkyrie on top of that is reason she's so good is it's information that you want to bring IQ for, and IQ contributes absolutely fucking nothing to dealing with Wamai and Goyo and Malusi and Maestro. So you just you bring out the Valk shield, and you're like, hey, you want to bring IQ, but I also got an extra shield. What you gonna do? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the operators. Like, it, yeah, if it was just if you removed it from those three and you kept it on the ones that it's currently on, yeah, like those the operators that Meepy mentioned, like fitting those in with like a Jaeger and Wamai, it's not as weird anymore. Like Ella would be a good one, but Ella's gun sucks, so like fucking deal with it. Good luck, right? Meepy, <laughs> uh, your Skype cam is wigging out, dude. I cannot control it? this. I have no idea what keeps happening. Uh, so, uh, you picked Ella, by the way, as your as your representative for the r6 share yes we did you want to know when we picked her tell me wait am i am i allowed to say this i'd imagine i am right we picked it though like when her gun just got buffed because remember oh yeah they it, made her gun it, it got guns. buffed and then it immediately got nerfed so we're like oh ella's back baby and, then, <laughs> and ella was ella was not back ella was not back all right. The, the, the one time they decided to immediately nerf an operator. I can turn my cam on and off again uh, if you want me to. Uh, no, it's it it's the things. it's the internet actually. It's not like oh. it's. I'm gonna try to fix it. Hold on. Okay. I hope this will. I hope this will fix it. But regardless, I mean, it's at the end of the at the end of the day, it's we will we will rebuild. Um, there you go. It should be fine there. Um. Hey. All right. Well, with that said, uh, I think we can turn to a couple questions now. You've been very gracious with your time. Um, when you factor in the run up to the show, we just hit three hours. So that puts us on about the same level. Um, and as always, there is a discord channel for those of you that are watching live. If you are not in the discord, I would strongly recommend joining it. Uh, I'm going to spam the link in the chat for y'all here feel free to join there is a every single time i'm trying to be better and more diligent with getting the questions up so a bunch of people started asking questions yesterday evening and troy if you'd like to look through it mm -hmm. uh we can pick some um i think this one's a good one um from pyro it's uh it's pretty simple but it's something that we don't often ask people what's your favorite memory slash event from rainbow six siege Ooh. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, there's a few moments that I've really enjoyed. Um, but I think the standout moment in my career... I, I think the biggest, coolest play I think I've ever made was probably in Year 1, Season 3, semifinals. Um, there's the 2v5... Um, versus, I think, were they called Most Wanted back then? Uh, were they? I don't remember. I exactly. think they were at the time. Yeah, I think yeah. they were at the time. Yeah. At LAN? 
On yeah, yeah on yeah. They, that was when Jarvis was on the team, right? Yeah, that was most yeah. wanted. That was like Jarvis and Gurmy and Snake Nate. No, 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 no. It was it was like the orbit roster. So it was Jarvis slash Canine. Yeah, they were most they were most wanted because the only avian. the only time I remember seeing Jarvis at land prior to the last couple lands he did, he had a most wanted shirt on. Yeah. So yes, sorry. Yeah, um, that for me was like the the play that kind of moved my career forward in sense. Like it got me like got my name out there more so because like a lot of a lot of the times in the early days, like the big the big killers, the big players, the people that put the frags on the board, they were the ones that were really spoken about. And back then, like um, NA was a really hyper aggressive region, and EU was a lot more strategical, and it was a big clash of titans. Um, and overall, like, I still remember it to this day. It was a, it was a very, very um, memorable moment to me. And there was the big high of it, and then there was, like, the awkward moment where I think Alem jumped on me and hugged me. Um, and, like, he pulled my pants down on accident because he jumped on me. <laughs> so there's me, like, the team's all, like, hugging around, like, yeah, hey, let's go, let's go. And there's me, like, can pants, pants, not on stream. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't get to see that one. You didn't get to see that one because I'm thinking like towards the back of the hurdle. But that was very funny. Um, Bartosh is saying accident. Yeah, <laughs> accident. Uh, another <laughs> one was against um, it was against Mocket, um, or at least I don't remember what they were called back then. It may have been Mocket. It was on Oregon, and I think Leon was on the team. I think it was either me and Lackey or me and Leon Orglas. They were called Orglas at the time. Two v four. Um, we did this like an insane like map rotate for for attacking basement. It was me and Leon. Um, is this the Paris Major? No, it was just a regular league match, I think. And I, I, um, I want to say that Kix was casting. It was I think Kix picked up on it and lost his mind, but I I could be wrong. It was pro league. Yeah, we were losing. Um, we were losing like one four, and then we brought it back to six four. And the round that we won it with was me and Leon in a 2v4. Um, there was like a guy, there was like two players upstairs. Uh, sorry, there was three roamers and one guy on site. Uh, we picked off like um, two of the roamers, did a huge rotate through blue uh, from like upstairs, like armory, onto site. We rushed site as two, killed the oh. site player, planted, and then held for the vigil that came back to site. And I just have the comms recorded for that somewhere, hidden somewhere on my on my PC. And we just went absolutely apeshit when we won that because it was like, Pretty we sure you no, tweeted that one. Yeah, we had. Yeah, we. I did. We had no right winning that round. I remember watching that. That was a crazy round. I, that one's that. Yeah, that one's on your Twitter because I remember watching the round live and thinking it was crazy, and then you posted it. And I watched it. That was a crazy yeah. round. I remember that one. That one does stick in my mind. Is there any moment that you just enjoyed that you weren't involved in? Any moment that I hmm. There's been there's been moments where I've like chuckled and laughed and that I remember and some of them are pleasant some of them are unpleasant for people here in this chat. Um, like, at the end of the day, it's, it's always fun to see a blunder, uh, and but everybody blunders. I live like, I've for had them. Blund- oh yeah, yeah. Everyone like everyone like fucks up, and like one thing that always like comes into my mind like um, is like Funkers losing a one v one to a clash. Uh, Alfama actually. Um, that one that was one, that like, on consulate 
Yeah, it was on console. That was on console. I remember that one. Yeah. You you never want to be that guy. That's when that's when Clash weapon swap kill. What like the clash weapon swapping turning around? Yeah, fucking... is that when is that when Alfama did the bikini body on him? Is that what it's called? Is that called the bikini body? We, so, yeah, we just call it like a the weapon swap, like the, the yeah the man. Flip. Like we the called flip, it the you know? bikini body because the first time it ever really, the first time it ever really went around was he did it in a video where he did like a whole whack of videos right as Clash came out where he would do the Ninja Turtle, put the thing on his back, and then just immediately swap and pop you. And everybody started calling it the bikini body strat. All of like his his fans. So we started kind of like mocking bikini body by, but also like praising him at the same time by calling him that. And it just kind of stuck for us. Yeah. Um, another good one was um, help you remind me just then in the chat is that Feral's jump out on cafe. He jumps out of the we call it ticket booth, but it's like the mini bar inside a piano. Um, he jumps out that window, gets a double kill, jumps in the um, the bakery window wall bangs towards the bakery main door and gets a third kill um he runs into the hallway to red stairs stands still and he's like oh my game froze i'm like i'm like why and he ends up dying he's like oh it, it just froze it just froze it's like pearl did you try and shadow play clip that it's like no did you just die because you tried to clip your three k three piece in the middle of a match no <laughs> what do you know just happens to be a clip of it though that he shows to his later <laughs> Got the clip. <laughs> yeah. Won the round at least, right? Yeah, I think we did, yeah. There we go. I mean, he got three kills and then he got traded off by the game crashing. I'd say that's worth it. Yeah, game crashing. Yeah. That was another fun one. Troy, do you have a question? Yes, I do. Um... What was going through your head in the last round of that DZ game, and who are your favorite players to play with? That so one thing that no one prepped me for is how stressful it is <laughs> being a coach, because at the end of the day, like I'm signing the I'm signing the team speak, so like you don't know this. There's like a, a face that hosts their own team speak with admins in every channel uh, to try and enforce like coach no speaking rules and things like that. Yeah. So I'm I'm just there listening to the comms, and remember, like I don't get a live feed either. So I'm watching this with, I'm watching the round previously, and all I have to go off is the comms. And these guys are getting super hyped and like super calm and super nervous and all these different emotions. And I'm just trying to close my eyes and try and visualize what, am I going crazy again? No, it's fine. Don't worry. You'll be fine. It'll sort itself out. I'm just going to leave it for now. It also blocks off Troy. So two birds, one stone. <laughs> <It's fair. laughs> Sorry, continue. It's it's extremely stressful, and especially when um, all that pent-up stress leads to a loss as well. It is very deflating, unfortunately. Um, in my time, one of the things that I've always prided myself on is that I can take a loss. Like, I, I, I can finish a game, lose it, and wake up the next day and feel completely fine. Um, I don't get overly emotional on losses. I get emotional on wins, um, but losses not so much. But when hearing the deflated voices after they lose the round and then watching the round back um, in real time afterwards, um, like I, I write notes on every single round. Usually a map is like an A4 sheet of paper of notes. And it's, it's really upsetting that I tell them, like, guys, go take five, come back, and we'll have the debrief and go from there. It's, it's unfortunate. But as far as like favorite people to play with, 
My favorite person to play with is actually currently in the chat, and that would be Leon. I have a lot of good memories made with Leon, um, playing with him alongside him. Um, essentially, teaching him how not to be an extreme <laughs> ranked monkey that he was originally. That was fun. Um, yeah, I was there from the start of his career, and he's moved on to bigger and I can't really say better things because Rogue isn't doing too hot right now, but we'll have to see. Rogue, the EU United. Yeah, you can say that. I had to get that in there now. Yeah. Come on, man. Jesus. <laughs> Not anymore. I know. I had to. Uh, so my question is for you. You already answered it in a longer way over the span of a couple questions. But succinctly, what is the difference between Phase 1 E-United and Phase 2? Um, the difference is how the team is ran in terms of leadership. Alpha is the IGL now. Um, and we are more so playing towards the meta instead of against the meta in an extremely harsh way. Um, one thing that we have done very successfully is take time in the round to actually talk about what is where and how we want to get rid of it. There's a shield here. There's an ADS defending it on drone. Here's how we get rid of it. Here's how we do it. The IGLing has changed from, uh, all right, guys, let's do this. Uh, okay, and then let's just run around and then we'll take it from there. It's, it's, it's literally step one, talk. Step two, talk. Step three, talk. Execution. Um, it's much more regimented. There's more structure to it. There's more of a formula behind it. Um, that the, I don't have many rounds where players are confused about what's going on, and that is a dramatic improvement over stage one EU. Uh, hopefully, um, the issues that we have currently can be worked on over this off season. We have a lot of time to work on it, so that should be good. Um, but overall, it's night and day difference in my mind. Definitely a lot better, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree from watching and playing so. Yeah. Uh, my question now. Huh? Uh, what distinguishes a great IGL from merely a good one? See, when it comes to Siege these days, you can't necessarily have just one person that makes all of the calls. It has to be like a team effort. But every team needs a head IGL. And what makes a good IGL, what makes a great IGL different, is the greatest IGLs are happy to take criticisms, compliments, or comments from their other teammate. The worst type of IGL is an IGL that thinks that they are right and everyone else is wrong. We're going to do it my way, or we're not going to do it at all. The best IGLs have always been the ones that have taken on board their team's ideas. The best IGLs are the ones who have always been able to calmly and concisely convey what they want. They can get to the point really quickly. The best IGLs are the ones that can lead their teams through stressful situations and actually talk the, talk a team through a 2v4 round. They can talk the team through a 1v3 if it's required. They're the kind of IGLs that can pick up the team's spirits when you lose or keep the team going momentum-wise when the hype is high. Good IGLs tend to typically just be good talkers, good communicators, good listeners. I agree with that. Damn. Damn. 
This one comes from WWIDAO, by the way. Unless, Troy, you wanted to add something to that whole good IGLing thing, because I think that was great. No, it was well said. I like it. Uh, given that he is presently on the test server, with your experience and what you've seen, what are your opinions on the newly reworked Tachanka? I think the issue with Tachanka is kind of like a, a consistent issue throughout the board of the new operators and the way that they're pervaded or the way that they are introduced. This is like, on paper, standalone, it's either a little bit too overpowered or a little bit underpowered. For the most part, you can get away with releasing it. But the problem comes is when you then pair it with another operator that synergizes with it. And that creates a much bigger problem. So you have the past few operators that have been released like, hey, here's something you have to destroy with a grenade or a breach or a ranged breach. All right, next operator. Here's something that needs to be, that's released that you need to destroy something with a ranged or a breach. Here's some new shields that are really strong. And you get this long strand of operators that all complement each other. They all become part of the problem. See, now what Tachanka does is he adds to another problem. We are currently sitting on the 22nd meta because you have to burn through a load of shields and shit. Now, you have to contest with Smoke at the end and then maybe Echo when Echo comes back. But now you have Tachanka, who, with exceptional skill, basically just playing the guy, you'll learn how to bank those grenades in a way that they land in the same spot every time. Now you're going to have to contest with maybe an Echo, maybe a Smoke, Maybe it's a Chanka all at the same time. Maybe there's a Maestro on the board. Maybe this team's running a Wumai Jaeger. Maybe there's all sorts of different combinations that I haven't even begun to think about that all complement each other, that add to this clock ticking down. You get 10 grenades with a 5 to 6 second burn timer on them. Yes, the radius is small, but at the end of the day, there's very, very specific default plant spots on a lot of maps that don't have a lot of room to maneuver. Like, if you're going to plant, for example, in games, in the games room on the new Oregon, you're going to plant on the desk, or on the foosball table, or in the breach. Well, I'm pretty sure, if I'm good at Tachanka, I can land a nade in all three of those positions from inside of kids. I've not tested it myself, but I'm pretty sure you can. You can maybe have some, you have some leeway with, like, consulate garage. You can plant um, the, the side of white by the box, front white, um, in between the van and the car, uh, drone hole. There's loads of places you can plant there. So you have some leeway there, but hey, Tachanka has five nades and can just literally get all of them. So there's some, some room to work with there. But then you take it upstairs. All right, we're doing a CEO push. Let's repel in. Let's plant behind the CEO desk. Well, Tachanka, he's inside of meeting. The middle wall of connectors reinforced, and there's a hall above it. He can literally get every spot in that room from complete and total safety. And it is like that on every single map. Now you pair that with a smoke with a maestro, with an echo, just pairing with one of those three other operators, he either, he either now knows exactly where to shoot those flames, or he has a partner in crime that can gas out the rest of the room. The, the issue is never the operator, it's how you pair them with other ones. And that has been a consistent balancing issue in my mind with, with the way that Ubisoft has been moving this game towards. I mean, look no further than Wamai, right? Everybody was like, we need a Jaeger alternative. So they put Run In, who's got some pluses and some minuses in comparison to Jaeger. But guess what they don't do? They don't replace Jaeger. They run them together. Yep. You know? Also, I can't help. I, I need to read this out loud. Dizzle says, yeah. personally, I think he is missing a deployable shield in order to have him adhere to game design philosophy. And <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to read the other one. 
Where the other one where he says, um, where did it in go? In between the black one and the white one, there's yeah. a name for that, maybe. Yeah, we're not saying that name on the podcast. No way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. If, if there weren't an abundance of deployable shields and bulletproof gadgets, would it be a problem that Malusi's Banshees were bulletproof? Not really. The problem is, is that if you're bringing a lineup with only a set amount of explosives, the defenders are going to try to do everything in their power to make it so that you don't have enough, right? It's not like, yeah. it's not like there's a quota of how many bulletproof gadgets you can bring. It's not like, oh, you have Maestro, you can't bring Malusi. Oh, you brought Wamai, you can't bring Jaeger. Now it's, let's just bring them all. And it sucks. Uh, and I don't know how to fix it outside of outside of getting rid of the bulletproof component of a lot of gadgets, which I'm fine with, by the way. But outside of that, I don't I don't know how you fix that. Yeah, I will agree that. I mean, I think Tachanka is strong. I do think that it's not always as easy to fit him in because you have to take out like one of the pieces of that other lineup, but it's still going to be strong. Like, yeah, there's still yeah. going to be plenty of sites that it's going to be worth running him in smoke and then just having like, yeah, Jaeger, Wamai, and then either Maestro, Malusi, or Goyo. One of those three. Still get a and, bunch of shields. Still get yeah. a bunch yeah. of explosive stuff. Yeah, you still have enough. So, uh, it's, it's definitely scary. But yeah, it's. I, I don't necessarily like the solution has to be like yeah changing things to not bulletproof, taking shields off of those good operators, yeah. um, all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, I, I mean, dude, I, I hate I hate that operators are balanced around their guns and their secondary gadgets and not their main gadgets. Like, oh, Buck's too strong. Let's just take his grenades. And it's like, well, why don't you leave him with his grenades, but just tweak his gadget? Like, this is what I don't get, and it's like, I've said this so many times, like, I just, I hate it so much that it's, like, the problem right now, like, Malusi, oh, we're just going to take her T5 away. Like, is her T5 a problem with her kit? Yeah. If her gadget wasn't so fucking annoying, would her T5 be a problem? Not really. Like, I don't know, I just, it, I think it's, to me, it's lazy. It's very lazy. Oh, yeah. fixing the gadget is really tough, let's just swap out the guns, let's just swap out the... Blah, blah blah and i mean it kills the operators to a certain extent so i mean i guess it works it does work to an extent but I, it doesn't work in the way that i'd like it to because it doesn't make it a choice like you should need in a perfect world there should be a decision made as to whether buck is better for the job or whether sledge is better for the job and prior to his nerf buck was almost always better there was n almost never any reason to run sledge most teams didn't use him for that specific reason now that Buck lost his nades, Sledge's pick rate has soared. Buck is only brought on a couple maps for a couple bomb sites. That's it. Buck has become a niche operator. And it's like... It's too much swinging one way or the other. Yep. It's like, okay, cool. You made Buck useless. Now everybody's just running Sledge. You haven't fixed this problem. Yep. So... I think this is your question, Troy. Is it not? Or was that... Yeah, because I asked the Tachanka question. Oh, I'm up. Um... Have you had an insane read or gamble in a match that has paid off? If so, which? I feel like Ooh. there's definitely got to be one of those. An insane read you or know, gamble. I, yeah. Or gamble. I actually, yes. Um, so I think it was, was it, it was Panky. This is going all the way back. Just Panky said, one thing you could always do to really throw off your opponent on the first round 
of a, an official match is to rush. And Kix agreed with him. And that's exactly what we were doing on round one of Oregon versus CTM. Year one, season three. I remember that. Rushing. Like, it is always a huge gamble when you rush because you, you have to have a lot of insight or you have to just get really lucky. And that rush was planned. We, we knew exactly what we wanted to do. We knew how the, the basement setup was done. And this is, CTM was a groundbreaking NA team at the time because they were one of the very few that had a lot of set strats and were very strat-based. Um, you could argue that it was modeled off of like an EU model, how a team would, an EU would be run, but uh, maybe they were just ahead of the matter in North America. Um, well, they were by a, a country mile. But yeah. that rush was a big gamble. And there's a lot of rushes that happen in every, every team's, every team at some point is probably rushed. And that is like, when I, I, I made this discussion earlier, there aren't very many rounds to play out in Rainbow Six. So every round you play has to have some kind of big impact. And if you lose a rush, then damn, like they've just successfully defended basement. Now they're going to move on to another bomb site that's going to be equally as hard to play against because that's just how Siege is. There's always two bomb sites that are really damn good and two bomb sites that are kind to me. And if you mess up on those two as well, then you're kind of screwed. Attacking then and attacking now is... I'm changing sizes again. Dude, it, I... Oh. It's funny. It happens from time to time. Sometimes Skype just wigs out. That's all. It's so just the- sometimes Skype, like, has issues with connections and it'll lower your bitrate. And because it lowers your bitrate, it'll lower the size of your thing. And then I need to stretch it again. But Fair enough. I fucking hate skype so much and i want that on the record anyway <laughs> sorry yeah. it's all good um other big gambles i mean from a personal perspective like i've made some some pretty big um gambles from like a play wise but the grand scheme of things when you look back you don't think it's a gamble um or a risk it's just something that you do because if you feel like it's the thing you need to do to win the round like, I've sat in weird positions, I've sat in off angles, I've made aggressive plays, I've pushed doors, and I think Troy can attest to this too, and himself as being a professional player, and I think every player at every level has done something that they would deem not necessarily as, like, the smart play, but it turns out to be the right play, because you have to take a risk to get the job done. Yep. Um, at the end of the day, like, um, who was it against? Um, I think it was against... Yeah, it was against Disrupt the first time we played them. Um, the first time we played them, this stage. Um, it was match point on... I think it was Oregon. Was it Oregon? When We ended up losing in Oregon because the player decided that they wanted to push from um, kind of like the games, um, top floor, into trophy. And he killed two players. And just that last little thing at the end of the round won oh, them. That was, that was DZ. DZ, yeah, it was DZ, thank you. Mint, thank you, thank you for reminding me. That one play won them the whole match. Yep. Because it was just a risk he took, Mint. And it is the one thing that we would never expect from Mint himself. Because he doesn't tend to have those kind of tendencies. And we weren't expecting it. We had a couple of players there. And no one was looking. If someone was looking, he was dead. 
he would have died 100% because he's swinging into a room that has like three or different, three or four different positions that you can stand in and a million different off angles because it's just a square room with a bunch of doors. Yeah. That literally one DZ, the whole thing. That one play. And that happens a lot more often than you would think. Oh, yeah. He could have played that super safe, played his off angle, played his weird position by gaming, by like, um, by like the wardrobe. But nope, swings, gets the double, wins the team. Wins this uh, game for the team. Just how it is. Yep. All right. Um, is this one asked? Most challenging prep for a match. Is that what you... Well, I only asked the first part of it. It was the gamble, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a match where you prep? What was the match that you prepped for the most? This split? Just period. Um, you can, you can, it can be secret. It can be here. Hmm. Was there anything that stands out where you thought to yourself like, holy shit, this is a lot of work. See, a lot of the time, um, prepping for teams is, it's not that it's hard. Um, it's just like you said, a lot of work. Now the, the only times that prepping has ever been hard for me as like a coach is when, when I look at a team. And I see that they have no consistent ban. They have no consistent pick. They pick absolutely everything. They change up their bans every single time. Um, kind of, I would argue the DZ game was pretty annoying to prep against because they didn't really have many tells. They changed the ops for pretty much every single the bans for every single map. So it's hard to tell. Like, oh, is, are we going to have Wamai for this map? Are we going to have Maestro for this map? Is Mira going to be available for this map? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's 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 very easy to like deduce ban phases after you see the first two maps that are banned, yours and theirs. It's easy to tell where the game is going from there. But beforehand, like, the way that I do my bans is I do simulations. I have, like, a fuck ton of map ban simulations, and then I try and prioritize them and rank them. Like, it's going to be this, then this, and this, and this, this. And it ended up being pretty, pretty good for us. That, that was a really good map ban phase for us. But the prep for it, getting the maps done, getting the VOD reviews done, getting all of like the strats ready for it was a pain in the ass because they change up a lot. Um, they ban, they ban to fuck you instead of to help them, and that's what kind of made it annoying. Because then I have to do extra research, like what are we playing on the maps that I think they'll take us to? Okay, we we kind of changed it up a little bit too. Okay, now it gets even harder because now I need to now start making predictions and guesses. So at the end of the day, I'm presenting to my team, like, look, boys, take all this with a grain of salt. This is what I'm going to go in with. Um, so instead of preparing really hard against them, I'm going to prepare you really hard to play well. And it's less about them, more about us for this one. And that's, that's the, the, the annoying part of prepping against certain teams is that some teams are hard to read or just unpredictable, random, erratic. But in my mind, that, well, that's what makes up a good team when it comes to at least countering them. Sure, we'll do yep. one question each, and then... All right. Uh, hmm. Wait, did we ask this on stream or not? I don't Which... think we asked this on stream, so I'll actually ask it, because I think it's a good one to ask. Do you plan to move to NA when the land league starts up? Um, I do not. Straight up. Um, 
Uh, I've spoken with United and all that good stuff. Um, they're perfectly happy with me to reside here in the UK. Uh, I feel like I can still do my job at the, the highest level I can here. Obviously, I'm not going to be stood behind the boys when it comes to the Land League, but at the end of the day, you know, what matters is my ability to coach them. It doesn't matter where I am. doesn't matter how I do it, so long as I'm doing it to the best of my ability. I feel like I could do it here. I could do it in any country. But may as well do it in the comfort of my own home. Fair enough. This, uh, there's, there's two I want to ask, actually. Okay. They're both from Nico. The first one is a ton of professional players have been very vocal about how terrible Siege has become. Do you think they're over-exaggerating, or is this a real issue? I would say it's an exaggeration. I wouldn't say over-exaggeration. I think that the way that the game is going now, I touched on it earlier with the balancing of operators and how new operators are being released. Um, it does it does cast a grim shadow uh, for the future if we keep heading down this track where operators keep coming out that on paper they look kind of strong but should be okay. But the real power is the synergy with other operators. I think if we keep going down that route, then we are coming to the point where we're no longer playing a first-person shooter. We're playing a strange MOBA game. Um, as far as like... As far as like gameplay wise, like I really do feel like we need better esports uh, awareness. Um, like even if it's just an esports tab, even if it's just like a, an inlaid Twitch stream, I don't care. Just something to get people actually more invested in actually watching Siege. There's too much Siege right now, um, which is definitely a thing. But like, there's so many different ways you can actually get people watching the professional leagues. It could be something as simple as 5% of people in chat get an alpha pack at the start of every map. Something simple like that. Um, but overall, like, there are some issues in gameplay-wise, not necessarily on balancing, but just on bug fixing that needs to really start taking precedent. Um, I don't know. There's, there's room, like, we as players... And I'm sure you as a caster, and I'm sure the viewers as viewers can clearly see that this game has some issues. And issues are issues, but issues become problems when they are left to fester. And that is where we're heading towards. And that, it is as simple as another, it's, it's another operation health that needs to happen in my mind. Yes, people are, will grumble and growl at it, but at the end of the day, you can still release a new op, but then just devote two or three months just to fixing bugs. Just to appease, um, just to appease the people that want more stuff, and just to appease the people that want fixed stuff. You can have best of both worlds. It just requires a little bit more work, is all. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think the one thing that was talked about, and it was actually talked about on a Logic Bomb uh, podcast as well, was that sometimes overpowered operators don't align with player frustration. You know, you can have an operator like I remember talking to a Ubisoft dev at one point about Lion. Lion had a 100% pick rate, if you recall, in NA Pro League for, I want to say, a couple play days until Rogue didn't bring him on one round. And that was it. And that broke the 100%. But I remember reaching out to them and they said, well, Lion's balanced. This is not a joke. They said, well, Lion's balanced. This is the closest we've ever been to seeing attack and defense on the same wavelength. And I said... If that's how you're measuring balance, we're in big trouble. Because just because the attackers and defenders on paper are winning the same amount of rounds does not mean that the game is fun. 
It does not mean that the operators are working. It does not mean that the operators are the culprits behind that. And to just say that blanketly, like, well, the game is the most balanced it's ever been, that seems to miss an awful lot of points and an awful lot of, of nuance. And, you know, somebody the other day on Twitter said that, uh, somebody the other day on Twitter said that apparently devs have told them that they don't think there's an issue with clearing utility, that the attackers have enough tools at their disposal, and it's like, like, I have faith in the dev team and I feel like I get called a shill often because I typically defend the devs because I know that they are decently aware of the problems that the game is having, but they are just reluctant to make sweeping changes because unfortunately the casual side of this community freaks out the moment you touch a thing for yeah. good or for bad. And at the end of the day, the casual community represents over 80% of this player base. I get it. But the problem is, is that as the devs, you kind of just need to tell them to shut the fuck up and just make changes. Like the casual community will whine about things and say that it's overpowered. And then guess what? It's not. They'll freak out and then everything will be fine. And the pros do that too. For the record, the pros will freak out over shit and then say, oh my God, this is going to kill the game. And it doesn't. And things are fine. Things might be a little mm -hmm. worse. They might be a little better. Who knows? But at the end of this day, like at the end of the day, you just, you got to make changes and you can't fear the casual gamers and you know, and it's, Twitter and Facebook and, and Twitch and Reddit and it's just like you see people complaining endlessly about the fact that there's so many explosives in this game and we went and I think the biggest source of frustration is that we went from being a game where abilities and gadgets were crucial but you didn't lack the necessary tools yourself to make plays most of the time now you do now if you're trying to run into site and there's a maestro cam and there's a banshee and you don't have explosives you're you're boned. It didn't really used to be that way. Yeah. But now you are relying on your teammates. And the problem is, is that when you rely on your teammates and your teammates are morons or they're toxic or they're throwing or they're not very skilled, your frustration is going to continuously rise. You used to be able to flash and push someone. Yeah. When's the last time you threw a flashbang at someone? Yeah. The thing I the thing that I've talked about is that you are now more reliant. I get it's a team-based game. You are more reliant on your teammates than ever before. The problem is, is that your teammates are less reliable than ever before. You know, I play anywhere from gold two to plat two, and there's no difference. People don't know what they're doing. People do not work together. They do not use their mics. And it's like I get that you want us to play as a team. But oh my god, is this game miserable when you have a hard breacher with diffuser on the opposite side of the map, nowhere near the team, try to drone themselves in and get destroyed, and then your whole round is over. That's where we're getting right now. And that's honestly, that's the big thing with Bulletproof Gadgets, is that I have to play operators now with explosives. If I'm not playing Zofia or Buck, or, or if I'm not playing Sledge or Zofia in-game now, I'm, I'm done. Because I can't rely on my teammates. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't play much ranked myself, and a lot of people know that. But when people come into my stream and say, hey, I'm new to the game, what operator should I learn how to play? I'm like, on attack, you want to play one of the operators that can do everything without any kind of reliance on your team, because you will not get anything from your team. You play, it used to be Buck, but RIP grenades. You play Sledge, you play Ash, uh, you play Zofia. Um, if you can afford uh, Gridlock, you can play Gridlock, because she has Shotgun, um, Smokes. Uh, denials, things like that. You just play an operator that has more than two pieces of, like, that has more than two skill sets. And then you go from there. Good gun, range breach. Good gun, um, some kind of concussion. Good gun, uh, some kind of um, strange gadget that actually works in your favor. 
It's hard. And yeah, I, I'm just like, if somebody's telling me what to play, I'm like, Sledge, Ash, Zof, Thatcher, maybe Hibana, Ace, Maverick. Yeah. Those are like, those are your must picks. And it's sad. It's sad because there are some rounds where it's like, I'd love to take IQ. Like, I'd love to take Thermite, but it's like, I, I'm not going to get much value out of those two operators without my team there. Because I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't provide anything. And if my teammate with grenades goes off and dies somewhere or doesn't use them or decides to throw them in and they both get caught by an ADS because they're a moron and they don't do their diligence to figure out if there's an ADS or a magnet there, that's it. You're done. And it sucks. Yep. The other question I had, by the way, which is also from Nico, was uh, as being a very experienced player with so many games under your belt, do you ever lose the feeling of accomplishment after winning? If so, how do you bring that back? Surprisingly, no. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but I lost the feeling of the... Um, I lost the feeling of losing, strangely enough. I never really got upset after a loss, um, but I'd always get really hyped up after a win. And it was always a strange thing. Like, I'm, One of the things that I was always really good at is just dealing and handling with the stress and the pressure of being on a stage, winning or losing. It doesn't matter. And I never really found that the the hype of winning never left, but the the defeat, um, the feelings of defeat, they they left pretty quickly. Um, and I'd probably attest that to having kind of like a a roller coaster career, shall we say? Um, I got used to like losing poorly or winning pretty spectacularly, I suppose you could say, pretty early on in this game. And I realized real quickly that if you if you're really down in the dumps after you lose, then that clouds your mind. You start to think like, why did we lose? How did we lose? Is it because we're bad? You start drifting towards those more negative thoughts, and instead of being more productive, like, okay, we lost because we didn't have a drone in this room, and we needed that. We lost because this guy missed his missed his shots, and sometimes shit happens. That's just how the game goes. You got to take the good with the good and the bad with the bad. And just take it as it is. Um, but obviously winning is really fucking fun. Really hype. And it, it really helps to have hype teammates. So that hype of winning never goes away. No matter who you are. No matter how good you are. No matter where you are. Where you have came from. Um, but I think when it comes to losing. I, I'm a bit weird. And I guess unique in a way. I would say so. Losing sucks. <laughs> idea for a t-shirt it ha has not gotten Losing easier sticks. for me yeah i think in my career the hardest loss um was croatia because that's the first time we ever got I, the first time i had ever been first rounded in an event ever mm. and it just made me realize how absolutely little there is to do in an event after you get oh, first yeah. rounded there is nothing to do nothing drink yeah. that's about exactly. it you yeah. know like that was me at, at rally Lost, lost in groups, and it was, uh, yeah. Who's in time? How many bars can you hit each day? That's about it. I mean, I guess it is, you can see the city. Like, that's my thing is... It depends where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Raleigh is not exactly the place that you're going to be touring around. But Paris. Oh, yeah. You know? I will, I will say it depends on people, too. Because um, some people they lose and then they like we talked about it with uno actually he said yep. like he's lost before and he just wants to like 
sit in his room and sulk, kind of, you know? Yeah. But he said, like, that he regrets that now and would rather just kind of go out, experience the city, have a good time, whatever. Yeah. Because you're going to, like, you're stuck there anyway, so you might as well enjoy it. It's hard, for, it's hard for people who aren't hyper-competitive to be in that mindset, right? You spend months looking forward to this moment, and then you just get blown up. Yeah. It's a challenge for people who don't compete to try to, you know, like, it's liken it to something you really, 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 really want. A Christmas present, a birthday present, something you've been looking forward to, and then it just doesn't happen. It sucks, man. It's not that it doesn't happen. It's like someone comes in and like fucking starts fucking beating on that shit with a bat. Yeah. Stepping on it. You know? And then you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. Well, that was the last question. As we've now hit the, exactly hit the four hour mark. Damn. I mean, we oh, did have about, it was about 20-ish minutes until we go live. So, I mean, it's, we're at about three and a half hours, which is about where it goes but there was never a point where i wanted to cut you off so this has been probably the most informative one that we've done so far it's definitely up there with the other coaches one so it's just like yeah that's a good one we can just sit here and listen so <laughs> but before we go uh plug yourself where can people find you what do you do Ooh. if people want to follow you if people if people want to invest in you as a as a content creator slash social media figure sure um well my twitter is meepy underscore r6 unfortunately meepy is taken by me but twitter won't let me remember my password and you can find me at twitch.tv forward slash meepy for my annual stream uh make sure you do follow for that one it is it is a banger it's probably going to be vr and <laughs> you can find you can find me on youtube if just by typing meepy there you go so make sure yeah. to give me a follow. I tweet something at least once a week. So keep an eye out for that. At least once a week. We will, as always with all the guests, we'll have your, your info and your, your links down below. If you are watching on YouTube right now, they will be in the, uh, in the video description. If you are one of those audio folk, I apologize. You'll have to come to the YouTube video to find it or go back and listen to what Meepy said and type it in manually. But good luck, by the way, with E United. Good luck in the in the six invitational qualifiers, and then in the next stage. I guess technically there is. I guess it won't be stage three. I guess it'll be year two, technically. Technically, the branding confuses me, and I work for the league, so it's fine. <laughs> but it was a real pleasure to have you on. Uh, yeah. Congratulations on E United doing better. I have no doubt Thank that much, much of their success is is due in part to the knowledge and expertise you bring, and it's been a real pleasure. So. Thanks for stopping on our show and thank you to everybody who watched. We'll be live again next Thursday. That is correct. Next Thursday. We'll be live again. We'll see you then. Enjoy the rest Thanks of your day. Me, guys.